Hey Blockers, Joe here. Uh, just a little uh, preamble before uh, we get into the Hangout audio. Really, really great time. Thanks to the guys for, for showing up. I think I say that then. Uh, about halfway through, uh, some funky audio stuff happens, so don't be uh, alarmed if uh, you start hearing some echo. We try and work around it as best we can, and uh, I think we still have a really great chat. So we had tons of fun, and I hope you guys enjoy listening to it too. So take it away, me. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity, or do you die here? All right, so I guess we are on air live. Hey, everyone. Uh, I, I was thinking, I, yes, I do guess. This is what Google's telling me. I was thinking of doing a weird intro, but I'm going to do the regular one because I think everyone's going to get a kick out of it. So, hey, everyone, Joe here uh, with another episode of the Upper Memory Block podcast. I believe this is episode, or this will be up on the feed as episode 78, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, we're not here to talk about it, at least we're not here to talk about one game from the DOS and pre-Windows XP gaming era. We're hopefully going to talk about a whole whack of them and, you know, maybe not even from the era when they go out sideways. So this is our third hangout. I talk with my hands when I'm on video, you guys see. This is how I actually do the show. I'm sitting here by myself, no one around, and I, I'm, I'm gesturing, doing crazy stuff. So Waving your hands around like you're directing a plane. Exactly. I, I, am, I, am, I am of Italian descent, so I do talk with my hands. But, uh, yeah, so this time for the third Hangout, we are going to talk about experiences that shaped us, and uh, I guess we're going to see where that, where that leads us. It may, we, we may have some, uh, some deep moments, some tears, some, uh, some emotional outbursts, and, uh, and things like that, but who knows? So uh, I've got four, four of, uh, well, I guess I'll call it technically four of, of, of my $5-plus patrons, but really four of my friends, because we've done this a whole bunch of times, and, uh, well two other times, but I feel like I, I know you guys now, you guys know me, so you're not just people who contribute to the show, blah, blah, blah. We're buddies. So uh, let's go around the room and uh, and do what we do. Yeah, I'm going to go... Yep. See? Exactly. We're being deep. So I'll go through my, my little list, which is going to be in a different order than the rest of your little list. So Brian, you are first. Go, go nuts. Let us know who you are. Hey, I'm Brian. I go by HD Brian, as I said before, and uh, you know, repair... Uh, video games in claws at movie theaters and stuff like that, and I'm going to go into that because I wouldn't be doing that if it wasn't for PC games. Um, I'm in the Midwest, Kansas City. Awesome, and that and your job never ceases to to make me go. That is really cool. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> All right, next we got Martin. Hey, um, Martin, I'm from uh, Dallas, Texas. I install security cameras and install uh, uh, wires and whatnot if our networks and... Uh, just really glad to be here. Cool. Next, we have Tomer, who I have to thank for the topic. So if it goes all wrong, it's your fault. Yeah. <laughs> Please to take credit and uh, blame as well. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm Tomer Gabel. Uh, I'm from Israel. I'm a software engineer by trade. And I have here this uh, shitty energy drink to quench my thirst and trolls as well as this bottle of scotch to quench my sobriety. Before <laughs> to another wrong. What the hell did he just bang? There's like a ton of bottles. There's now scotch everywhere. Yeah. It's just gonna be sipping it off the off the table. There we go. So it begins, and then 
trolls who I've I've now referred to as my sidekick on these things. I think I came up with a with a nice thing on Twitter the other day, the Max to my Sam on these hangouts. So take it away, little buddy. I love it. Wait, were we supposed to make lists? I have no. nothing. Uh, you don't but... need to make a list. I'm just gonna come up with some kind of something, and you'll go with it. All right. I'll, I'll try. Anyway, hi guys. I'm the uh, Space Quest Historian, also known as Trolls or Tools in my native language. Have fun with that. I uh, do the Backseat Designer podcast with uh, my good buddy and hetero life mate Fred. And uh, we do the open crowdsource uh, uh, game show that's not a real game show with uh, our buddy uh, Gareth Millwood. And I also do. Sorry? Open crowdsource, wasn't it? Open crowdsource, yes. The uncircumcised version. <laughs> and. Uh, and we are, and I also do Let's Plays on YouTube because I have no original thought in my head. Eh, I want to do one of those too. And I have to say, I'm really enjoying uh, Open Crowdsource. It's uh, it's tons of fun, super creative. Thank you. It. You should you should come on the season two. Yeah, no, I certainly should. You just caught me at a because there hasn't been a real show in like a month because I've been away and doing craziness, <laughs> stupid stuff. Also, I'm... we kind of kind of forgot to invite you for season one. No, no, I got the invite. I just, I, I just. Oh, you did. Uh, yeah, I just, I just looked at my schedule and I was like, there's, there's, there's no weekend that I'm free or no time that I'm free. So hopefully for season two I can get out there. I'm not as creative as, as you know, some of the dudes out there. I'm not a game, game designer. I'm just, uh, I do the easy thing. I criticize. Yeah, that's what I do. So uh, <laughs> you, you, you're most welcome on the show. Wonderful. Ooh, you're, you're so damn fancy with your glass of wine. Look at me. So yes, I am drinking some. I can't remember exactly what it is. I found it in the fridge, and hopefully my wife won't get mad at me because I drank her wine. It's refrigerated piss, everybody. Yes, it's very wonderful. It's 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 a fine white, possibly from the Niagara region, just uh, an hour or two hours away from here. Possibly from some weird French guy's bladder. Anyway, also uh, before, we go any, before we go any further, I also do have uh, the swear jar. Andy, and uh, it will make, for you guys listening to the audio version, this sound whenever uh, shit goes weird. Oh, wait. There you go. <laughs> that does not count. It does not count. Okay, cool. I'll just it's got to be more hardcore than that. Yeah, it's got to, like, at the very least, it's got to start with an F and go lexicographically up from there, basically. <laughs> How about my new favorite word, cunt bucket? That's a good one. <laughs> Wow. Oh, and just FYI, if you haven't been on one of these before, the show is generally PG-13. These are not. So. Holy shit, I said that before I started. <laughs> yeah, just FYI, I meant to say that before, and now I was reminded, so sorry if you got offended, but you may want to hang up now. <laughs> <laughs> My apologies to everyone. No, not really. I don't care. No, no, no. This is a, we're, we're here. We're drinking. This is like uh, it's it's only 3 p.m. for me, but I know trolls and and Tomer. It's uh, definitely uh, after dark for you guys. So uh, it's this 9 is 9 p.m. and I've already had two beers. So yeah. So this is a uh, UMB after dark, even though it's uh, mid afternoon for me, and even earlier Fun fact. For, uh, for Martin and uh, and Brian. Fun fact: the uh, Space Quest, uh, you know, no, the uh, um, Backseat Designers podcast was originally called Space Quest Historian After Dark. And then it occurred to me that I actually got a co-host, so we probably should think of a different title. <laughs> I actually thought Backseat Designers was a great title. Oh, and I also, I believe you guys mentioned that it was inadvertent, but I, I do like the fact that it, it comes out to being BS Designers. <laughs> yeah, bullshit Designers, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So was that an accident uh, it, or was it, it not? 
Oh, that was. I'm I'm going to say that was intentional. Okay. And uh, and we also we also started out calling it the saturated market because there were so many uh, game podcasts out there. But then we figured, hey, no one's going to know that it's about game design or adventure games. So far. it's like uh, if you, if you listen, you won't actually know what it's about. So <laughs> we still don't know what it's about. Isn't that what makes it the did best? You actually, did you actually give up, give up on a podcast or like? You went to do the the crowdsource uh, thing, uh, which is awesome, by the way. But uh, I'm wondering if you're sort of getting back to the normal uh, stream at some point. Oh, we we will get back to the normal stream. Uh, we are actually we're on a hiatus with the uh, uh, main podcast, and Open Crowdsource is kind of the spinoff. Uh, and we did ask uh, Gareth to be a co-host on season three, but he said, "Nah, I like listening to you guys bicker. It's more fun." <laughs> um, but we we are going to bring in more guests. I'm going to shut up about myself. This is not my podcast. No, this is, uh, this, is, this, this is like I said. I was I, like I said on Twitter in our little exchange before before we went live. The topic is a suggestion. The topic is something we will talk about, but this is for us to hang out and have a good time. So let's have yeah. A good let's time. all talk about me. Yeah. Exactly. Is we're all having a great time talking about trolls. But anyways, okay. So let's uh, let let's get into the topic. So uh, so experiences that changed you. So as I as I interpreted that, I think let's see what did I write here weeks ago. Uh, so let's talk about experiences relating to either computing or gaming that affected you for the rest of your life. So that's that's pretty open, Tomer. Was that kind of your 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 plan when you suggested it to me, or sorta? Of, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't put it quite in those words, and certainly not with that expression. But um, <laughs> that's, I like that's you, know, you mean you mean the Canadian expression? I have that? an expression. Joe looks very Canadian right now. I do. <laughs> I just wanted to see his face when I said that. Sorry, go ahead. I could go get a toque or something and put on a scarf. <laughs> But it's fairly warm in here. <laughs> Anyways, let's get rolling. I have no so, uh, idea what that is. Oh, it's not a biscuit. It's one of those hats, you know, that you put on in the winter and it covers and there's a pom pom on top. I thought like Tomer was the Jewish guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's cold here, so you know, we have to wear things to temple as well. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's all Jewish to one degree or another. It's been a hundred degrees every day for the past. Uh, 15 days here. So you're good. No hats for you. <laughs> no. Don't need to cover your ears. Okay. What's so, 100 uh, degrees in centigrade? What is 100 degrees in centigrade? I can't remember. Uh, it's somewhere like, uh, like yeah. I want to say 60 or something like that. No, no. It's not 60? 60. Oh, no, I don't no, no, know. No. It's I'm like American. I mean, don't, don't ask me what centigrade is. It's like 35-ish, something like that. 35. That's uh, still horrible. That's that's my that's my pain threshold. We had, the, we had 35 degrees centigrade during the Roskilde Festival uh, this year, and it was... I, I put on long pants because I'm such a fucking idiot, sorry. Um, oh. and, uh, and I was just sweltering. There you go. I just asked my uncle Google, and uh, apparently it's 37.7-ish. Uh, okay, there you go. So I wasn't too far off. Hot, and it's the weather we've had here for the last week, just about. Oh. You guys are mad. How can you even live in weather like that? You guys uh, in your desert living I'm not designed for this weather, but there you are. Nice yeah, to be good, though. Go out there in the field with 70 degrees with a nice breeze. Yeah, that sounds you guys, comfortable. You guys must have killer air conditioning. Oh, uh, I don't feel, Yeah, it's, the bills are high, though. <laughs> well, you got to pay for all the easy. Yeah. Yeah. And what the hell are you drinking? Is that a fetus? Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> 
No, it's not. Uh, being being from Texas, it's a big old mason jar of sweet tea. There you go. Got to represent. Let's <laughs> say you got sweet tea. I got we got Niagara region wine. Coles are drinking some cheap German beer. Danish beer. Danish beer. Okay, you didn't even go German this time. Danish beer. Royal. Uh, supporting the local Danish conglomerates. And Tomer supporting Scotland. Yep. Yep. By way of supporting beer. his beard. Yeah, there you go. Truly an international community. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so Cheers, experiences experiences that changed us. We can drink to that. And uh, so who who's got some stuff? Who wants to to begin? I've said too much. I'm gonna let someone else take point on that one. I can start if you guys want. Go for it. Yeah. For me, um, I was always, I think I've talked about this before, I was always uh, um, pining after the NES that my friends had. I remember and going to my, my uncle's house, and he had an NES, and I was in love with this thing, playing just like regular Super Mario Bros. 1 and stuff like that. And So he gave me an Atari 2600, but that obviously wasn't an NES. So um, like around 98, my mom bought a uh, used um 8086 from a coworker, and that was my first PC with CGA graphics. You know the the four colors at super low resolution. Um, so I realized that hey, there are games for PCs, and even though I don't have you know the NES that my friends have, I can find games to play. And my first list of some of the earliest games I played were kind of embarrassing. It was uh, Ford Simulator came with it, and it oh, was. Oh, I had Ford Simulator. <laughs> yeah, it was on the hard drive, and it was not a good. You know, racing game, but oh, you know. Is that the one where you had this uh, weird pit stop that you would change tires in and stuff? Like, I only vaguely remember it. I don't think so. I'm not. You know, I vaguely remember too, but I just remember. It was like my... it was like a really crappy version of Test Drive, sort of. And and that was the Test Drive and Stunt Drive or other simulators I played. You know, right there in like 1990 and. Simulator still... being kind to these games, by the way. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I had all that shareware, you know, a billion shareware versions of Tetris. I remember playing a football game on it, um, like Joe Montana's first, not Joe Montana, um, Madden. Sorry, the first version of Madden that was on PC. Again, in CGA graphics, it was an awful game. And, you know, now you look at Madden games and it's amazing. But, um, and, uh, well, the graphics at least. <laughs> then when ni- 1991, when Commander Keen came out, um, that was the first. That was the first Commander Keen four. I didn't really even realize it was the fourth one. I, in retrospect, have played one, two, and three, and those are less visually appealing. But yeah, four, even, older looking. Yeah, and um, four is where they kind of got a, a very pseudo 3D. You know, instead of just walking on on a straight level, it kind of had some depth on your floors you walked on, stuff like that. But even in CGA, that game looked good, and it felt for once like, hey, I'm now playing a video game that I've you know, been dying to play at home. Um, and to get that to run, I had to you know, create a boot disk. I had to learn stuff like upper memory um, blocks. You know, <laughs> UMB oh, equals high. Yeah. You know, that was the first thing I remember having to do in a config process. UMB equals high. Um, you know, stuff like that. Load the, the highmem.sys. Well, well, that's how to get high before you're legal enough to do it. There you go. Um, uh, files equals you know 50 or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And then yeah, I never uh, knew what the hell that meant, but I just always I said, you. 
Well, that was the yeah. thing too. Is I ended up teaching myself what that stuff meant. I, you know, my mom was a computer programmer, but she didn't know anything about the actual hardware. So I, I had to figure this stuff out. When I got Wolfenstein and it sounded like crap, and when I played it at a friend's house, it sounded good. I'm like, well, I need to get a, a sound card because I've heard that Keen and Wolfenstein actually have amazing sound if you have a, uh, you know, sound card. So I installed my first sound card, and once I had the sound card in and the VGA card in. You know, I felt like I had a better gaming machine than the uh, my friends' Nintendos at that time, and then by you know '92, I think I finally got an NES, and you know I think the Super NES was already out by then. But you know, by then my computer could way outdo what a um, what any NES could do. Tonight on the Upper Memory Blog Podcast, Brian's life story. Yeah, well, I mean, we talk about what you know what changed your life, and literally, if it, if I had gotten an NES when all my friends did in like you know nine, or I'm sorry, in '86, I wouldn't have learned about you know what UMB meant. So I wouldn't know what this podcast meant. I wouldn't listen to it. I wouldn't care. I wouldn't. I'd have just done all my gaming the easy way. You put your cartridge in, you turn it on. You don't have to write autoexec.bat files and config.sysis. You don't have to put in. VGA cards because the EGA card was not much better than the CGA card. You know, none, none of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but that really? really put me where I am. I'm sorry, what was that? Just to just to put things in perspective, I mean, there's a whole range of other experiences on the other end of the spectrum. If you had an NES, well, uh, so, you know, and I um I was just playing Mario Maker before we uh before we started the podcast. I'm still a huge Nintendo fan, but um. I think honestly, getting to play the Nintendo at friends' house and uncles' houses where it was special, you know, kept it special in my heart too. Um, and like I said, though, if I had had an NES and never had to play games on a PC, um, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now, fixing games and stuff like that. That was the evolution of my uh, tech training and you know, going to um, school for computer hardware and stuff like that. It all started from I just want to play a video game. Mm-hmm. Also, Tomer uh, uh, shared a link uh, with the uh, group to what the Force Simulator actually looks like, and uh, yep. I've now gone blind from the vethering. Holy shit. But the Taurus, that is exactly what it looked like. <laughs> it's a Taurus, everybody. The best car in the history of the world. <laughs> that just looks fucking awful. Sorry. And, and that's what the CGA graphics look like. That's what I was playing when other people playing Mario, so I still felt inferior at that time. I felt like I was still not really getting what I wanted. I was the best I could possibly get, but like I said, by the time Wolfenstein and Keen, those games felt like real games that, you know, mm-hmm. Wolfenstein, you couldn't play on an NES either. Do you know uh, my dad way, had two uh, of those Ford Tauruses in a row? <laughs> oh, wow. See, my mom had a Mustang, so we were big into Fords. Oh, so. you, guys were, you guys are awesome. We What's, her, what's her name, Sally? No, uh, Tomer, <laughs> you, mentioned, um, you, you mentioned that uh, driving game where you go into the pit stop, and that just triggers this vague, vague fucking memory of mine. Uh, what the hell was that game called? I, I distinctly remember that, where you go into the pit stop and these little dudes come out and change your tires and whatnot. Well, I had a game I on I had the, for the called before. Pit Stop. It was actually called Pit Stop. Uh, I had a racing game called Pit Stop. I don't know. <laughs> I had Stunt Driver where you could actually drive in a, in a loop-to-loop like you know Sonic would do. Or oh, yeah. Would, yeah. oh, yeah. That was who cool. also had a level editor. It ran at like three frames per second on my PC. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. Well, but yeah, so okay, anyway. well, I guess uh, yeah, I'll, that was I'll it take this that, opportunity. That my, uh, oh, sorry, man, the delay. That I was going to okay. say, that's, when, you, when I saw the subject... Of how you know what sh- shaped your life. It wasn't p- particularly one game. If I had to choose one game, it'd be Keen because that what's made me realize that PCs could do games that I wanted, and like Wolfenstein. But you know, if it wasn't like I said, you know, 
I don't know what I'd be doing right now. I'd probably be... Thank our buddy Carmack for that. Yeah, there you go. So, hey, have you guys noticed there's another person in the chat? Yeah, Absolutely. hey, what's up? Not, now that we're done, I didn't want to interrupt interrupt Brian's memories. <laughs> that's oh, all we that's do that. is interrupt each other. That's, that's, that's how my job. Work. <laughs> so, uh, so Craig is joined. So, Craig, why don't you uh, say hello and tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, all that noise. Can you guys hear me? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, I'm a old-time gamer. Um, I'm probably older than all of you guys combined. Um, <laughs> I don't believe been, it for a second. No. Nah, <laughs> in my, my mid-40s, so I've been gaming since the early 80s, when some of you were still born. We're not even born. Yep. <laughs> we're um, still born? Well, sorry. Sorry. Sorry, oh, Jules. Well. Only some of us are still born. <laughs> um, I'm a zombie. <laughs> My background is um, started with an uh, Atari 800. Oh nice. wow, nice! And then and then moved to the ST realm, and then eventually PC. So, so you, cool. were you part of the religious war between Atari and Amiga fans? Like ST no, no, I was. You know, I never cared about the war. It, it didn't matter to me. I liked my Atari. I thought they were better, and they were in a lot of ways. Where, where are you from? Where are you at? San Jose, California. And did you oh, grow right. up in the States? I, I did. Okay. Not What's that the temperature? temperature? <laughs> yeah, we yeah. all talked about the temperature. Yeah, you got to know your temperature. Uh, well, it was the, the mid-90s this past week, but it's a comfortable day today. Again, I have to fucking look this up. Sorry. Sorry, what? It's like 35-ish degrees, and uh, cheers, because you, you know. There you go. Well, Trolls lives in, like, I'm trying to remember exactly Denmark in relation to, like, Sweden and things. So are you, like, is, is it, like, land of eternal winter there? Like, the second it becomes, like, the, when summer ends? Well, no, we're not. No, we're not in Finland, but uh, right. it's, uh, you know, it's damn close. It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, Sweden is, like, if you, if you drive to Copenhagen and you're a really good swimmer, you can go to Sweden. Um... Uh, so we're we're very close, and the climate is you know 35 for us, 35 centigrade is damn hot, and uh, usually our uh, you know summers are around like uh, uh, 25 to 30, and winters get you know around you know the chilly side might be like minus five degrees. It's not like you know New York where it's like in the summer it's 40 fucking degrees, and in the winter it's minus 20. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the uh, so. So yeah, like for me, it's been it's been weird because I guess the last three weekends I've been away. Two first two weekends I was camping, and last weekend I was up at the mountain, you know, doing very very f failing at mountain biking. But uh, it was like you know 30, 32, 35 every weekend, except this weekend, except tomorrow particularly, when I'm doing an 80 kilometer bike ride, and it's going to be cold and raining. <laughs> So, oh, good. You're Wear talking gloves. Celsius, right? Yeah, I'm talking Celsius. So it's like 90 degrees Fahrenheit for us U.S. people. Yeah, exactly. Right? But except for tomorrow when it's going to be like 18, which is probably, I don't know, in the 60s, and raining, and I'm going to be bike riding my bike for four hours. So. Oh, we well, come back to California where there's no rain. Right, exactly. yeah. Exactly. I mean, yeah. We're going to have to start trucking water in here soon. Yeah, I shouldn't complain too the, much. Uh, there's, oh, there's nothing threatening to burn my house down, you know, or, you know, I can drink water and water my grass if I need to. Not that I ever do. 
Water your grass. Right. We all know what you mean. Um, <laughs> no, that's, Col that's Colorado, Trolls. <laughs> okay. Never mind. Uh, Dan Danish weather is kind of like Danish people, quite noncommittal. It never snows enough to be so you can ski or have any fun in it, and it's never hot enough that you want to, you know, really, you know, take off your pants and run nude on the beach. That kind of thing. <laughs> it's, just, it's just kind of blah. It's not, it's not UK blah, but it's close to blah. So on this week's Upper Memory Blog Podcast, we're talking about worldwide weather phenomena. <laughs> things that shaped you and also weather. Okay, so what else have we got for things that shaped you? So Brian went. Who else wants to go? I'll go. Okay, go for it. All go right. for it, Captain. So as, as many like you know, the shirt, I, I by the way. Oh, thank yeah. you. I oh, yeah, I love that shirt, man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, uh, as many you know, I, I didn't grow up with, uh, with a PC. All the PC experience that I got was with my dad. And uh, I got a lot of hand-me-down stuff, so I was mostly a big console guy. And um, up until I was 10 years old, I, I, I just loved games, and I'd just get a game to beat it, or try to just to feel good about beating it, and and so forth. But when I was 11, uh, I was uh, hit by a car, and I was bedridden for about six months. Wow. And, well, that took a turn. Yeah. <laughs> that I told you we were going to get deep today, guys. Yeah. <laughs> and what had happened is that um, uh, it was. It, it was January of 99, and Ocarina of Time had come out a few months before. And I was a Nintendo Power subscriber, and I, I just, I've never played a Zelda game before. I, well, I take the back. I had played a Zelda game before, but I didn't know it was Zelda. My very first Zelda game I played was Link to the Past, mm. but I had no idea what it was. And, uh, it's I the Mario what, 2 of the Zelda games. Weird and different. And... <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, no, sorry. And... Link to the Past was the, was that, that was the, the oh. third one, right? Yeah, the third one, yeah. yeah sorry, I'm thinking, thinking of the second one. Yeah. <laughs> Link's Adventure. Yeah, Link's Adventure. Yeah. No, but, uh, the first time I, I saw Zelda game, I uh, just happened to walk in on the sequence that he pulls out the Master Sword in, in, the, in, the, in the woods. And that, well, I always thought that was a really cool scene. But when I got Ocarina of Time in the hospital, it was the very first time a game had, like, blown me away. Because it, it blew a lot of people away, to be honest. It was a very amazing transition from 2D to 3D. Mm -hmm. And a homicidal game, apparently. <laughs> Sorry. And uh, I just remember getting sucked into it, and uh, I, the whole time I was bedridden, from the moment, from about the first week I was in the hospital to about about two weeks before I started, was able to walk again. I had beaten that entire game, and it was the first time that I realized that games could be more than just a time waster. That it would, it could. The game inspired me because I had lost a lot of physical abilities. I, I, I <laughs> to this day, I still have a lot of problems. I can't join the military. I can't be physically active, and so I lost a lot of what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. So what I ended up, what I realized is that these video games could do much more than just be time wasters. And it, I really wanted to be a game designer. So, so I went. So right up until a few years ago, when I needed to needed to really buckle down on myself. But uh, you know, since then I've, I've learned how to 3D model, and I, I know how to code in C sharp a little bit, and I've been working with Unity, and I went to college for it. And all of my good friends are now working in the game design industry. But to, to my, all my personal, like all who I am, is basically built around Ocarina of Time and and video games. Since then, like what they can be and what they can do for people. Oh, that's amazing. Holy yeah. yeah. That is nice. amazing. Did not expect us to go that deep uh, right off the bat. <laughs> Did anybody else have bedridden games? My bedridden game was uh, Mist when I had mono. Oh, oh wow. fuck me with a stick. I, I couldn't even I couldn't even lift my head up, so I had the monitor on its side on my <laughs> nightstand, playing point and click Mist. It was great. 
Uh, I had mono when I was six, so I wasn't. I wasn't. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't capable. God, I, I was. I think I. I almost died there when. Yeah, my parents were like, "Yeah, we thought we were gonna lose you when you had mono." I was. I was a scrawny little Man. kid. If you. Uh, oh, if you can believe it. I don't. Do you guys want to know what my bedridden uh, game was? No, I don't is, know. I'm afraid. <laughs> aside from masturbating. It was. Uh, it was when, uh, yeah. Oh. Vigorously. <laughs> I'm guessing Leisure Suit Larry or some such. Uh, it's worse than that. Uh, when I was in the United States as an exchange student for a year, I uh, I came down with some, you know, one of those bad fevers where you, you, you kind of, you know, like puking and shitting all over the place simultaneously. And uh, and I had set up my, uh, um, I set up my computer monitor next to the bed, like literally next to the bed, so I could lie down with the keyboard and mouse on the mattress and to play. And guess what I played? The eleventh hour. <laughs> what kind of self torture uh, is that shit? What a I way. love the seventh guest, but man, the eleventh hour was. The eleventh hour was just silly. The only good thing that came out of that was that this other exchange student who lived in the same uh, neighborhood as me, this uh, Czech girl, um, came over. And uh, there, there's there's this puzzle in eleventh hour that's basically a Connect Four game that you play against the AI or play against Stoff, whatever you want to call it. And uh, she uh, found a bug in the game. Where uh, if you did, and, and I don't, I don't actually remember what you do, but if you put the the bit in, in the right place, you can fool the AI every single time, and she just she she just worked that out all on herself. Hey trolls! Uh, right up until about ten seconds ago, you had a really really good like beginning for a porn film. <laughs> <laughs> the Czech girl that came by, and then you just fucked it up. Sorry, uh, Mike. Save, right, save, it, save it for open crowdsourcing. One week late Nintendo, or the eleventh hour, whatever. We have to get Tomer in for open crowdsource too. I think he'd be brilliant at it. Oh, also, so you know, open crown. I, I hear, I hear they circumcise a lot in Israel. So uh, <laughs> yeah, you'd be perfect. One. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, open uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm, Will I you don't be displaying your open crown, sir? No, yeah, sorry. I would love to. <laughs> So anyway, that was my sick game. I'm, I'm, I haven't even gotten to my spiel yet. Someone else. Um, so we took Martin's or, or very deep, heartfelt story and and turned it into masturbation, well, <laughs> sick games, and circumcision. Yeah, I know what I do. <laughs> Welcome it's to the hangout. <laughs> okay, who else? And, and you know, if you guys think of other stories, you know, even if you you quote unquote already went or whatever, feel free to, to drop in something else. And you know, I I got a couple things. No, so. that comes later. <laughs> uh, I could go next. Yeah, go for it. Cool. So uh, this is actually also my uh, bedridden story, but uh, I would go with. In no, like I do. Uh, contrary to trolls, I actually do have a list. So I'm I'm gonna pick one at random, and that's uh, Civilization. Hmm. Uh, thing. So um, I must have spent like the game came out when I was I think like eight, and uh, I played it. Like I didn't own a machine that could play it at the time because we only had this crappy uh, uh, IBM PC clone. Um, so I actually. Pretty much took over uh, a neighbor's house for half a year. Uh, like she was, uh, like, uh, there was this whole family there, and uh, uh, the woman was a very good friend of my mother's, and you know we pretty much know each other. Like the the families would know each other and hang out very often. So uh, I sort of monopolized their computer for the next six months uh, to play Civilization, and that's sort of all I did. 
and that includes a time in which I was ostensibly too sick to go to school, but I could trudge the, the half block of their house, go to the second floor, and uh, play uh, Civilization until like 2 o'clock at night when my mom panically, uh, you know, panicking, just uh, came in to check if I was there by any chance because they were looking for me for like four hours at the time. <laughs> Calling the police. And <laughs> uh, just about, yeah. So that's a have you, have you yeah. seen my boy? And just shows his foreskin to the police dog. No, stop <laughs> it. <laughs> but what, what the, that game thought, uh, this was the first game that I had played for any meaningful length of time. I, I could never play a single game for more than, I don't know, an hour at a time uh, back then. I was, I was really, really young. But uh, this was the first game that sort of taught me that um, games that suck you in can literally suck you in and you, you forgo sleep. It's this, uh, you know, one more turn sort of experience that civilization is uh, infamous for uh, this day and age. So. Yeah, I won't say it necessarily invented it, but when I think of a one more turn game, it's civilization. Like, I think yeah. I've, I've never played civilization for oh, yeah. less than two hours. You know, you sit down, you're like, okay, I'm just going to do a little bit, and then it's like six hours later, and you're like, oh, God. God. I don't know that it defines <laughs> the phenomenon, but it definitely epitomizes it. Like, mm-hmm. That's the one. It's sort of like Doom is not really the first first-person shooter, but it is. You know, either that or Wolfenstein 3D are the ones everyone thinks of. Or, They're like the definition of a third-person shooter, not necessarily. Yeah, they define yeah. the genre. They make the genre what it is, so you consider them to be kind of like the canon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna live up to my uh, reputation as an annoying person who interrupts a lot. Uh, but the uh, you know the page turner kind of game for me was oddly enough Syndicate. Yeah, and I, uh, I'm, I'm absolutely terrible at playing Syndicate. I'm really, really terrible. But for some reason, I just, I just had to keep playing because every time I fucked it up, every time I fucked it up, I had to, I had to go in and see if I could do it again, just, just to see, just to see what the hell I did wrong. And every once in a while, you know, you just throw your guys out in a suicide mission or something. But for some reason, I kept playing Syndicate even though I could only get to like level five or something. Yeah, and speaking of Syndicate, I know I actually, because of uh, our, our good friend Ben Chandler, I, I was reminded that I actually backed Satellite Rain and I installed it. I, haven't, I have yet to play it, but uh, if Ben's anyone to go by, it's like the, the most incredible game in the history of the world. So. I really want to try that game. It looks really good. Mm-hmm. I don't trust anything Ben Chandler says because he loves mazes in adventure games. <laughs> Hi, Ben. <laughs> And, uh, I know he's listening to this. I love you, you long-haired weirdo. Yeah, and I'll say, like, Civilization, I, I, what I do, I think a lot of people do this with Civilization, is that I don't play it for years. And then I install it, and I play it for, like, three months, like, all-consumingly, and then I leave it alone again because I know I don't have the time to do it properly. I love the use of the word all-consumingly. Yeah. Like you're in a cult or something. <laughs> That's civilization. If there's yeah. something that, that if there's a game that is consu- all consuming, it's that or like World of Warcraft or civilization or some kind of, some MMO. When you play civilization, it's basically the exclusion of everything else. It's yes. Like, you, know, you, you forget to go to the bathroom for like seven hours straight, and then you realize you're about to blow up. Yeah, and, gi- <laughs> and, gi- and given this show, I, I don't have the I don't have the, the luxury of, of playing the game all consumingly. Or as Joe said, World of Warcraft. Yes, absolutely. Cat. In the way. <laughs> I played a bunch of Civilization. I played a bunch of SimCity. Uh, the, the old MS-DOS games, uh, 
and I'm I'm terrible at them. That that's when I found out that I'm really really terrible at strategy games in general. But uh, for some reason, I just kept plugging away at Civilization and SimCity and Syndicate for some odd goddamn reason, and um, and Warcraft, the first uh, you know the first and second Warcraft games. Mm-hmm. Um, Hey kids, remember those uh, back when we had land parties? Those were fun. Uh, hey, the, I still have uh, my cop. I still have my original copy of Warcraft One. Really? It's, it, it's you know for some reason the voice acting is really what caught me. I mean the dude who what's his name Bill something something, um, the guy who does all the human voices and all the orc uh, voices, and he's also the dude who designed the game apparently. Oh, wow. um, Bill Roper. Bill Roper, that's the one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my dad used to have. Yeah, my dad used to have boxes and boxes of old games, and he had he kept all the boxes of the games, including Warcraft one and two. And now he he threw them all away when I was in college. No, uh, no, no, no. I, no. I mean, I can't complain. I've told the story a million times, and a bunch of people are going to get upset when I tell it again. But you know, a few Me? months before I started the show, <laughs> yeah, my parents were moving yeah. out of their house, and they're like, "What do you want us to do with all these old game boxes?" And I was busy or something. And I said, oh, "I'll get rid of them." And so they were all, they're all gone. And they so were all... So, so looking at your, your bookshelf behind you, Joe, at one yes. point I had two bookcases that size full of games uh, dating back from 1990 to probably 2001, 2002, and then we bought a house and I decided to get rid of them all. Um, and the no. reason why I had, so yeah so the reason why I had all these and I could, can give you a little bit of background on me is sure. I worked I worked at Creative Labs from 1992 oh. through 1995. Applause everybody! Applause. Right when the Sound Blaster at Pro and the Sound Blaster 16 took off, mm-hmm. um, and I had friends in developer relations, so I ended up with tons of games. And of can course now I look back on it going, why did I sell them all? Yeah. Oh my God, Craig! <laughs> I would or, like. To... Or, or why didn't I hold on to them until now and sell them sell because them now exactly. they're worth something? Yeah. Exactly. Craig, yeah. I, I want to give you guys a big shout out. I know you probably didn't invent the Sound Blaster, but you but you were there. Close uh, enough so for you us, are right? Basic, yeah, close enough for us. I really want to give a big shout out because you are the catalyst between the greatest discussion I've ever had with my dad. Uh, it was installing our first Sound Blaster 16 into my yep. computer and uh, playing Leisure Suit Larry 1, uh, the VGA remake, and going, was that a digital part or not? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll give you even one further, Trolls. My first year at Creative, I was in tech support. <laughs> so this is back when people had no Windows. This was all DOS. So set blaster equals A220, I5, Ooh, yeah. D1. H5. <laughs> There you go. God, I can only imagine. I can only imagine DOS, DOS tech support over the phone. Like, okay, so type edit auto exe c dot bat. Actually, I think probably mostly use CopyCon because it's just easier to instruct people on it. Right. Well, you know, there was a reason why we all went out drinking uh, beers and getting fifty cent tacos uh, every Friday after tech support <laughs> weeks. <laughs> oh, by the way, just just a just a quick poll. Uh, who set their IRQ to 5 instead of 7? Oh, that'd be me. Yep, me too. For some reason, it made my Sound Blaster work better. I have no idea why. Some games, like One Must Fall 20-something, okay. uh, so, wouldn't, so the, wouldn't run with IRQ 7. Well, why, we got support here, so we'll find why, out. Why Why did we ask you to change it from IRQ 7 to IRQ 5? You didn't. I just randomly found out on my own. Because your printer port used IRQ 7. 
I did not have a printer. Try again, please. But hey, but the port, port was still there. Your LPT1 port used IRQ7. Yeah, it was a headache. <laughs> it did. Oh, that was no. why I only wait, lasted wait a minute. The next port. Wait, you're, wait, you're right. I did have a printer at, at one point. This old fucking crop matrix. Sorry. Uh, this old fucking crop matrix. <laughs> yeah. I, and actually, I, I asked my dad if I could get that back, and also his old handheld scanner, so I could make some glitch art. You know, like uh, scan a picture in and uh, screw it up, and then print out a dot matrix. Yeah, exactly. It's just like mess up the lines, print it out, then scan it in again, and just go, hey, glitch art uh, for album covers and shit. Okay, and, we had uh, one of those, and I was really, far. I was really obsessed with our handheld <laughs> scanner because we. Uh, I would try and scan in photos from like my Star Wars source books because there was like really cool <laughs> Star Wars art in there, and it all looked like crap. It was horrible. But it took forever. No, Craig's gone in his closet. Just <laughs> yeah, I gonna, that's bad because I was gonna, uh, I was gonna troll him. Oh, there, there he is. I can't wait to see what he got. So Craig, what what'd you get? Stipulus. No, that's what, not what that? Blaster. Anybody know what, what that is? Here, let's... Bro, oh. Yeah, that's the old sound blaster. Pro 2 I think. Awesome. Yeah, I still have some stuff hanging around. Hold <laughs> it up again, please. Hold it up again. Oh, oh so never here. No, I can hold, hold it up and talk so the camera stays. That's no, okay. There, I'll, I'll force it to present. There we go. Oh, look at that. Oh, Beautiful. Look at that beauty. Analog knob there for the sound too, the potentiometer. Oh, oh yeah. Cool. I Craig, Craig, does that have a like daughterboard uh, pins in it? You can like hook up. No, the... this this isn't a 16. This is a Sound Blaster. Hey, look at the 1991. This is an original Sound Blaster because it actually has the volume control knob. Yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. A number of them did actually. Uh, the, the old uh, Sound Blaster Pro 2.0 um, that I had at the time also had one. So that's inconclusive. But you had the the model number on it. So if anyone feels like looking it up. Anyway, I might actually I might actually be remembering shit wrong because uh, CT 1350A. I might have, actually, I might have had the Google over 1350. Because I did have the volume knob. Uh, did, did, the, did the 16 have a volume knob? I don't even think so. Um, think. No, by the 16, I think they moved over to software. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, cool. So I must. I, I was remembering wrong. I had an 8-bit Sound Blaster thing with the volume knob and everything. And then I got a 16, and I got a Roland Sound Canvas daughter board that you know basically looked like two circuit boards humping. Oh, no, Brian's going into his closet. Do you remember the ASP moniker from the old Sound Blaster 16? Yep. Uh, it stood for a signal processor or something. It was basically the, the hardware, uh, you know, software-configured hardware mixer uh, chip that they had on it, the DSP. Uh, so by the time that came out, I was doing sales for the company, so yeah, I knew all that stuff. Oh, God. Okay, can, can, I, can, I, can I tell a brief story? I'm, I'm going to tell a bunch of stories. Uh, sure. But my brief story, one of, the, one of the things that shaped me as a kid was getting a sound card and playing Dave the Tentacle for the first time. Um, and, and, you know, just, just the fact that on the disc version people were talking in the intro and I got the CD-ROM version in my old one-speed clamshell kind of thing and then playing that and going, holy Jesus, these guys are actually talking through the entire game. And the uh, uh, Sound Blaster was definitely a huge part of that. I mean, I suppose I probably had a like a knockoff uh, Sound Blaster before I got a real creative Sound Blaster because the knockoff just wouldn't work with some games or some bullshit. Um, but anyway, yeah, sound cards were a major, major turning point from me just going, uh, well, this game is kind of fun, but 
that uh, yeah, whatever PC speakers suck and such, and then going, holy but Jesus, these guys actually talk. Ah, oh, multimedia. That was a defining moment for me. The oh, sound yeah, blaster was the first thing I added to my PC too. Yeah, the, the, I remember when I uh, I got my first sound blaster. I wasn't at Creative at the time, and I I found uh -huh, the cheapest nice. place and found the cheapest place in the area, and I was able to get my sound blaster. Uh, it was a Sound Blaster Pro for, uh, oh, it wasn't a Pro, it was original. Sound Blaster for $150, and the first game I played was King's Quest V, and to go from no sound to, you know, synthesized MIDI was just <laughs> amazing. And going, and go, going from King no Grand sound Speed. to Cedric. Yes, to <laughs> Cedric. <laughs> Fuck Cedric. <laughs> I'll drink to that. Anybody else remember their first uh, hardware install? I think mine was probably a. Ooh, it was it was a it was an imitation sound blaster. It was a sound blaster emulator, and uh, and yeah, that was that was probably my first one. Though my dad might have done that one. If not, it was my sound my actual sound blaster 16. And I remember getting very upset and very nervous because it would not go in the damn slot, <laughs> and I was pressing <laughs> on it really hard. And at one point, I thought I might have broken it. But uh, um, eventually, I, I was able to get it jammed in there. Nice. I uh, I got a new video card. I can't remember what it was. It was right around the time Call of Duty 2 came out mm. for the PC, and uh, I was so excited to get this new hard, uh, this new video card in there because I just built my first computer. I mean, my dad he sat me down and we built my first computer together, and uh, I put it in there and I probably playing Call of Duty 2 for about a good good two hours or so. And I'm loving the hell out of it. And I remember being in this this firefight, and someone was uh they'll, they'd be throwing a bunch of smoke grenades. The AI was, and I remember hiding in a building, and I'm like, wow, this is like the graphics are so good, it's so realistic. I can even smell the smoke from the smoke grenades. Mm -hmm. And then it, then it hit me. I'm like, wait a minute, I I that's actual smoke. And I look up, and my computer is is <laughs> it's just it's coming out of my and I uh, I I yank out the power cord, and I'm I'm just like. I, I calm, I'm like, what the hell is going on? And it turns out that in my haste to install the, uh, the, the video card, I did not look up the specs of my power supply. <laughs> and I had burnt out my power supply. You literally smoked your through. power supply. Nice. <laughs> and the game was still running, now that's yeah, a, it was. Right that's up a real trooper. Right, right up until I pulled the cord, it was still working. <laughs> That is awesome. That's, my first 3D that's the best story I've heard so far. He's just sitting there playing going, this is so realistic and his curtains on fire. I smell the smoke. <laughs> Dude, my first 3D card was that, uh, that Voodoo add-on where it didn't do 2D. You still needed your 2D card. Yeah, and you had I had that one too. through cable to your Voodoo, yeah. Now, did wow, you do it internal? Because I think, was there an internal cable or an external? Because I did it external. It was just like a... Yeah, I did external, yeah. yeah. The internal cable was uh, only with the Voodoo 2. It was for uh, right. it was uh, for running two Voodoo cards uh, in parallel for speedoffs. Yeah. See, by Voodoo 2, they finally realized, oh, we could go ahead and put 2D on the same card and charge more money. I, 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 never, I never had a Voodoo card. Do you know what my first video, uh, my first 3D video card was? Reva. The Matrix Mystique. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that was a piece of shit. Yes, that's a piece of shit. My god, that, that did not work at all. It crashed yeah. all the time. I mean, I may have, that may have been the first circuit board I ever took out of my computer and literally just tried to break it in two. 
And growing up in, in the West End of Montreal, I would actually drive by uh, by Matrox almost oh. every day to get onto the highway. And when I was a kid and then going through high school and stuff, I would drive by there and I would dream that, oh, one day I'm going to work there and we're going to make video cards. And it's oh. awesome. And you know what? I never did, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> Burn the house down. Burn them all. <laughs> but yeah, so that's... Uh, yeah. Lots of... Uh, so enough, yeah, and I also had some reason my dad went out and bought the Millennium, the Matrix Millennium. It was no better. It yeah, was just... also reportedly had like really, really lousy, pretty uh, performance and compatibility. Oh, it was yeah, shit. Awesome, at least. When I got my Millennium, it did great for uh, Duke Nukem 3D. And I remember that was the card I got that made Duke Nukem 3D fly. Hmm. <laughs> I think you're an Maybe I got it wrong. It was a different model, perhaps. And at some point, they basically switched to not giving a shit about DOS because, you know, there wasn't much of a market for it. And from that point on, um, compatibility with DOS, like uh, the, the VBE implementations, just went to shit. Now, mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, but there's no 3D acceleration in 3D. No, no, there was not. So no, it's just, 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 it was still doing the 2D stuff. So, no, you're probably right. It still was probably a, a crap card, but it, it had enough RAM that it was able to... It served, your, it served the purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Millennium actually was supposed to have had just amazing 2D performance in DOS, but uh, I think the cutoff point was maybe the Mystique. I'm not sure, actually. But at some point, they just went shitty. All I know is at one point, I got a, a really good OpenGL um, video card, which meant I couldn't play Carmageddon in 3D accelerated, but who wants to anyway? It looks awful. <laughs> uh, but uh, it, it worked well with uh, you know Half-Life and Quake and such. It, it looked fantastic. And then it broke at one point, just, just flat out broke. I didn't do anything to it. Sorry, Dad. Uh, and then I went in and go, Dad, Dad, my fucking video card just crapped out on me. And uh, and he just goes, well, we have this backup, and he pulls out the fucking mystique. <laughs> so, I'd rather play nothing. Like, <laughs> I'm already dead. Why are you doing this to me? Yeah, and I, I guess because of... Oh, go ahead, Craig. I was going to say, I was fortunate enough that uh, my first video card was a Voodoo, because <laughs> going back to creative, one of the guys I used to work with in creative ended up at 3DFX, so he uh, was kind enough to seed me with a card. Beautiful. So going from to Tomb Raider in you know software rendering to uh, 3D and and seeing Quake when they did the uh, Quake GL patch was uh, was like you know night and day. Oh man, I just stared at textures when I got Quake to work in GL. Yeah, well, I mean exactly. It wasn't even bothered playing the game. It was just like wow, yep. look at how different this looks. And then when I figured out how to turn on transparent water, I just stared at the water. <laughs> Do you remember uh, the old Final Reality demo from Remedy? Uh, from before they did like um, oh yeah it was non-interactive right uh, it was not interactive interactive because it was basically a demo scene production just under a, a commercial company's name because yeah. that's what remedy spawned off of uh, the old future crew uh, but yeah it was I mean it was practically yeah, future crew yeah uh, so crew, wow. pretty much the the first time I've ever seen 3D acceleration was uh, at a demo party in Israel in '97. And the guy showcased both uh, Quake GL and uh, Final Reality. And uh, I just basically crapped my pants. I just love the idea of a land party in, uh, in Israel. People uh, you know, walking around with their cabinets and going into this huge building and going, Hey, hey, did your computer just crash from the as well? Yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah. Well, we did those too. <laughs> 
Uh, how many copies of uh, Mech Warrior 2 did everyone have? <laughs> no, none. Uh, gentlemen, if you're going to talk about Mech Warrior, that's a good excuse to, as any... Oh, my God, what the hell is happening to my vocabulary? As good an excuse as any to hit the porcelain. <laughs> oh, I take it out of Mech Warrior fan. Yeah, screw Mech Warrior. I'm out. <laughs> so, Joe, I assume <laughs> please go. First Oops, sorry. Four people died at the same time. <laughs> sorry. Joe, was, was Mech Warrior one of your land party games? I wasn't much into LAN parties. I, I played a lot of Modem Mech Warrior 2. I, I guess people, but uh, yeah, so I guess I bought, you know, the original software render Mech Warrior 2. Then I got the Voodoo card, so I got, you know, Mech Warrior 2 Voodoo Edition. And then I got something else, so I got Mech Warrior 2 OpenGL Edition. So I think by the end of. I don't know, the end of by, by the mid 90s or the late 90s, I probably had four copies of Mech Warrior 2, but I'd only actually bought one. I think Descent was my first uh, modem game. Oh, yeah? Yeah, playing with my brother, yeah. No, I played a lot of, uh, modem-wise, we definitely played a lot of Doom 2. I think, yeah, my friends and I would definitely play a lot of Doom 2. I never uh, got a chance to do a uh, modem-to-modem dial-up stuff, but I, I used to play a lot of StarCraft over the internet when I got my... But when I ever got my uh, internet card, see, I was very... I didn't know much about stuff, so I thought I had a 56K, but really I had a 32K. Oh, nice. And uh, all, all my friends were always complaining about how <laughs> it would bring the game to a crawl. Because how would it work? Would it, would it, would it model to the, fl- the slowest connection? Or? Yeah, well, it had to. Um, it, I, I remember you. I, I would tell my unit to go somewhere, and it would wait five seconds or so, like literally five seconds before it would like give me affirmative, and it would start moving. <laughs> it was bad. You know what, Martin? You're not missing much modem to modem play. It's overrated. <laughs> yeah, when I was at, when I was in high school, uh, and I was uh, we would go a little bit retro, and I remember using my dad's laptop, which had a modem port on it, because I couldn't find any more modems, modem cards anymore. But I used my dad's laptop and a modem port to play the original Command and Conquer with a friend of mine, and we had a blast with that. That was probably the thing I played the most modem to modem. For some reason, I never really got into like internet play, but I was I guess because I have a I was big into my friends and I were big into BBSs. We had modems, you know, back in the day before the internet. So yeah, we play a lot of modem to modem. So yeah, a lot of modem to modem command and conquer. And uh, yeah, just like you know, uh, what's it called? Skirmishes, just like yeah. Here you go, Joe. I'm going to digress here on BBS talk for a second and say, uh, here's something that actually shaped, here's something that shaped me. Okay. Uh, back in the Atari ST days, I ran a pirate BBS that had four uh, um, floppy disks online, and I was one of the most popular pirate BBS uh, runners <laughs> in the Bay Area. My mom had no clue what was going on in my bedroom in the house. I came back at just the right time. <laughs> Yeah, I had. If anybody knows uh, old Atari hardware, I had two 810s and two 1050s online on a on a uh, 1200 baud modem. Jeez. Oh, Wonderful. Man. Yeah, I was. I I came in with a 2400. And yeah, I loved. I loved some of the old Montreal pirate BBSs. Get on there, get your stuff, download. You know, a meg in an hour, if not more. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm 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 still so jealous of you guys uh, being into the BBS culture and stuff. I mean, my dad got a modem and he was uh, he was very into it, and he would not let me play with it. And I was too young. I'm, I'm born in 1980, so I really had no idea what the hell I was doing. I was just sitting around messing around with the lunch paints and playing with the Super Larry. Uh, 
so I really didn't know what I was doing. I'm really jealous about people who are really into PBS culture because that sounds like a lot of fun, and I really wish I was into that. Uh, but we didn't. Yeah. The thing that was weird about it for me is I don't know how I got into it because I think I, I might have said I, I've definitely said it on the show, and but I don't think I've said it on the uh, the hangouts. My, until our Pentium, uh, we never really bought computers. We would always just get computers somehow. Like one day my dad would show up with like we had, you know, an XT, and then one day he'd show up with a 286, and then one day wearing I'd... a ski mask. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and then one day I was at his office, and he'd have a 386 in his office, and I'd say, "Oh, can we bring that home?" And he said, "Well, if you ask my business partner." <laughs> Whoops. Oh shit! Tomer just exploded. <laughs> A yeah. Bit. So yeah, and I was a super shy kid, so it was like a, a challenge for me. So my dad said, if you ask my business partner, who he already knew when he was going to say yes, if you could have the 386, then you know I'll bring it home. So I went and I screwed up my courage and I said, oh, could we have 386? You guys aren't using it; it's just sitting in the corner. And he's like, yeah, whatever, <laughs> whatever. So and, I just and want all picture little Joe running up to this guy. This guy in a business suit. Let's go. Can we have your computer, mister? He just goes, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, whatever, I don't care. I'm rich. Forget, forget for the fact that the guy might have been driving a Ferrari, right? No, he was. Can I have, can I have your Ferrari? <laughs> it was like, like this, this, this dude in the Silicon Valley TV show. This dude just pulls up and goes, hey, you, you, ever, had, you ever had a steak? Come with me. <laughs> yeah, you know, and so what's interesting, Trolls, is you know BBS culture, me being... Uh, I'm 45, so I was about 12, 13, and, and 82, 83. BBS culture was really neat because you know, pre-internet, you know, you actually had to dial up and do message boards with people and talk to them. Um, and you know, we we actually made multiple attempts at getting together and meeting people, which was you know, it was like this kind of a hangout, but only live. Hmm. Um, I, I will. I will. Uh, we, we should probably do a roundtable at, at some point and just find out how old people are. Um, mm -hmm. I was like, like I said, I was born 1980, and I remember sitting around wishing that uh, chat had been invented. I would, and this is kind of a sad story, really. I would sit around and uh, and uh, you know type at my DOS prompt and just pretend that people were talking back to me, uh, <laughs> just getting bad command or file name after you know. October is quite a big part out of priceless. No, I'm just saying that explains a lot. <laughs> and then, and then I I got on IRC, uh, which is uh, really fantastic, especially if you were a uh, you know a teenager in the early '90s. Um, getting on IRC was all sorts of fun because you know parents have no idea what the hell is going on, and um, and you're just sitting there chatting to people who. Uh, who you know, um, who you're probably likely never going to meet, but then uh, we got on this channel and we we did you know end up you know meeting, uh, you know renting out conference not 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 conference well these little party hall kind of things, and uh, just trashing the hell out of the place because we were all like uh, 14 or 15 years old drinking beers and our parents didn't even know where the hell we were and uh, IRC was a defining uh, moment in my life definitely. So that's yeah. as close as as close to BBS culture as I got. Yeah, I think I missed the days of BBS, is where you actually dialed up and it, it made it made looking for software a lot a lot more interesting. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I always thought it was a very interesting thing. Like once I actually thought about what I was really doing, I was literally dialing into somebody else's computer. Exactly. 
and accessing files on their computer and transferring them over the phone line via noise to my computer. Uh, I agree that on the one hand, it's it, it always felt like a, a lot more personal experience than it is to visit a website or you know a forum, whatever. Uh, but then I also realized that it it makes me sound kind of like a crotchety old man because uh, you know it's kind of like. You no, know, back in the day when the village was small and everyone knew everyone, else, <laughs> the village got freaking big. So deal with it. Uh, no, it makes you sound like yeah. a hipster. I used to. I did this before. It was cool, man. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was but cool I, to like dial up the Sierra Online BBS because you wanted to get the hint file for mm -hmm. uh, you know Police Quest One or King's Quest Four instead uh, of going online and watching the playthrough. I don't think my parents would approve of a uh, you know an overseas phone call just to figure out how to get past, you know, something or another in Space Quest 6. I always convinced my parents to buy me the hint book, even though it was, like, $30. Oh, man, that's expensive. You're talking about parents and charges. Oh, okay. yeah. You know, I have, I, have a, I have a great relationship with my parents. I can tell them uh, pretty much anything. I mean, the first time I dropped acid, uh, I went home and told my parents, hey, they asked, where have you been? And I said, yeah, I was on acid the entire evening. How have you been? Um, but, <laughs> oh, we had a nice dinner. But, uh, just <laughs> we had a very nice dinner, and then I looked at the couch for six hours. Um, <laughs> but uh, but you know, going to those uh, you know first land parties, and uh, you know, going to meet friends on IRC that I uh, you know only seen as you know little bits of text on the screen and such. I mean. Um, my parents were very forgiving, but I don't think they know to this day what the hell went on at those parties. I mean, it not. I mean, I, I know where your mind is going. It wasn't like complete debauchery, like everyone taking off their clothes and just bouncing around on pillows. Uh, but it could have been that, and they still don't know to this day. <laughs> Unless they're watching this hangout. Stunned silence. Cool. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Anybody remember the Sierra Network? Yes. Oh, yeah. I don't know if I ever actually logged into it, but I definitely read about it a lot and got excited about it because I think there was a feature in it in one of the interaction magazines. And yep. Yeah, just hearing you, guys, hearing you guys talk about BBSs and log in into um, that kind of stuff, it just always interests me because that, that's something I never got to experience ever. I mean, my first internet experience was AOL. So this, this whole other little world of what it used to be like before the internet was was uh, more varied. This is one of the reasons why I love listening to Upper Memory Podcast because I just hear and learn about stuff all the time. Well, Sonny, we want to make sure you understand where computer <laughs> gaming came from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but well, I, mean, I, I really wanted to do... Uh, I know uh, Brian from, from Squareways, that was kind of one of the, their first series of, of shows, if you go back and listen, I guess maybe the first three episodes was all about... BBSing, but I really want to do kind of a special where I talk about door games because I don't think it's enough to talk like talking about one door game for an hour is kind of ridiculous. But yeah, there was just a ton of of, of really great BBS door games that I played, like uh, Baron Realms and Trade Wars and Legend of the Red Dragon and stuff. And these were all like text, you know, ANSI graphics, and Actually, it was kind of like. Go ahead. Sorry to interject, but um, it. it you know, they were discussing uh, Legend of the Red Dragon on um, uh, on Square Waves as well, and uh, mm -hmm. now you mentioned it, and you mentioned that it's all text. And I was wondering if anyone uh, ran into the RIP standard. I did not. 
Anyone else? So, uh, assuming I remember the acronym right, which uh, I probably do, but I haven't actually look, looked it up uh, ever, so I probably should. But it was a, a weird kind of uh, add-on thing to uh, both BBS software and uh, basically uh, terminal software that had this um, kind of miniature vector format for graphics. So it, it was sort of like the the, uh, the way AGI, uh, was it AGI, the, the Sierra um, interface, the Sierra engine from... Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, AGI was our first vector graphics, yeah. Well, sort of the same, like vector uh, vector graphics, flood fills, that sort of thing. It was very rudimentary. It's sort of like a, a really, really um, kind of basic SVG, I guess you could say, basic subset of SVG nowadays. Mm -hmm. And uh, Legend of the Red Dragon actually had a version that supported it. And I vaguely recall that the add-on uh, for whatever terminal software I used uh, was called RipCurl, but I'll, I'll have to uh, look it up. But it was awesome because it was, you know, it was essentially the same game, except instead of ANSI graphics, it actually had, like, proper vector graphics if you had uh, support on the client for it. And oh, that was pretty cool. cool. I'll, I'll try and look it up. The old Atari 8-bit computers had their Ataski graphics, which was an enhanced ASCII. Hmm. Yeah, but that's, so, that's not quite the same, though. I meant, like, proper uh, vector, like, you know, full 2D uh, vector space, like, not hmm. approximate uh, blocky ANSI art. So, you know, even even an extended ASCII set is still, you know, ASCII. You get, like, typically 8 by 8 characters or, or some such. Sure. Uh, so that's that's the best you could do. So, so uh, Trolls is, is very kindly in the chat asking if we, we do a quick age check on everybody if, if no one's opposed or offended by telling us how old you are. Just just, just for a frame of reference. So I'm, I'm God, I was born in 81. I think that means I'm 34, right? <laughs> I'm still surprised that I'm older than you, really, because you're the wise and sage older, oh you know, Wikipedia master. So I, I'm still surprised at that. I'm just some dumb idiot, that's all. <laughs> I'm 36, so I'm like a couple years older than you, Trolls. I was uh, one I'm 37. Year. 37. I, Sorry, 37. I, I turned 35 this year. I was born in '88, so that makes me 27. Oh, you were the baby. Jesus, there you go. Um, I'm a good middle of the road, 32. All right, so we're and I'm the old guy at 45. There you go. <laughs> cool. You look younger than I do, dude. Yeah, well. So you got an amazing beard, so yeah. Yeah, man, your beard's rocking. Mm. <laughs> it is. See, I, I can't, I can't, gr I can't grow a beard. I can't grow any beard because my hair grows in one direction. So, like, if I grow it out, I look like Inspector Detector. From, <laughs> from, from, from <laughs> you should definitely do that. That's uh, that's a skill unto its own. It'll, it'll get you into the software industry in a heartbeat. So yeah, it's just me, me and trolls that are the uh, unbearded. He's <laughs> had a full beard at, at, at one point, but that's because my shaver broke. Uh, so I would I, love and, to and, see and, a picture of that. <laughs> I, I look like a homeless person, really. I'm, you know, it's all scraggly and weird and sticks out in weird places. And this, you know, the left side of my chin doesn't grow out as fast as the right side of my chin. But it just looks like uh, it just it just looks like someone took a crap on my chin, really. Joe, you were rocking an awesome beard last winter, weren't you? Yes, I was, and if I can convince my wife, it will come back, but uh, I'm not winning that fight right now. <laughs> no, so here's the thing. Kissing with a beard is not good for, uh, you know, the person on the receiving end. Yes, exactly. Unless they have a beard, too. 
you can speak from personal experience, I think. <laughs> At least for me. I mean, if, if someone, if, if you kiss someone and they go, ooh, that tickles, it's like, no, no, it wasn't supposed to do that. <laughs> But yeah, uh, well, once you get it long enough, it stops being the prickly tickly. Yeah, then it starts being <laughs> soft, and especially if you take care of it. Yeah. So has has has, has everyone said something yet, or? Has I've, I've got an emotional story. Oh, oh yes, yeah. of course. We haven't gotten trolled. Do it. I've just been interrupting everyone else. Um, That's okay. That's what you do. That's your job here. Um, I do. I, I know my dad doesn't listen to any of the stuff I do, and if he does, sorry, Dad, but I started smoking. Sorry, uh, you kind of knew that already. But hey, um, but I do want to give a special shout out to my dad because he was a defining part of uh, me as a computer nerd and, and growing up and stuff. I mean, he was an um, he was an electrical engineer, and I think I've talked about this before. Uh, he was an electrical engineer who uh, decided in the early 80s that he wanted a computer but couldn't afford one, so he just sat down in his little lab in our basement and just built one. And the only thing it had was, like, a, a little LED screen um, with, uh, you know, characters that could scroll across it, and then it had, like, half of a keyboard, like half an alphanumerical keyboard, uh, and he made this little Wheel of Fortune game, but only half of the keys were there, so it was kind of an unfair game. Um, and then he got out and bought the uh, Commodore 64, and then, uh, you know, I got my first PC at my confirmation. That's a Danish thing. It's not a Catholic thing. Um, and by the by the time that I got my first PC, uh, my brother and I had a Nintendo as well, but that was more of a, it was more of a toy than anything else. Um, but when we got our, our PCs, we, we went into it hardcore. Like, we would pop the motor hood on that thing and just put in, um, you know, graphic cards, sound cards, and, like, build our own shit. And my... My dad had this, uh, and still does have this uh, little office space of his, which is just chock full to the brim of old, uh, you know, cards, old sound cards, old video cards, uh, old uh, CRT monitors and stuff like that. So if ever anything broke or you poured, uh, you know, coke all over your keyboard, which I did several times, um, you would just you would just go to him and go, Dad, my shit broke, and he'd just go, Fine, I have four video cards in my closet. Here, take your pick. Um, so they're all my, by my dad was really yeah they're all by fucking Matrix too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so yeah so my, my dad was my dad really shaped me into the nerd that I am today and I, I really really you know couldn't be more grateful. Yeah, that's my story. Yeah, I mean, I could probably say the same thing. Like, my my dad was was a programmer back in the day. He programmed in primarily in DBase. And, uh, yeah, so we always, because of him, we always had a computer. You know, we usually it was because, you know, it was for work and computers were serious business and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, you could, like, type a story on it or something, but games weren't really a thing that he was into at all. But I, I started getting into them. And we got an Apple II back, you know, eventually, even though that wasn't something. That was our first home computer. And he did get us some games for it. And I think that's Mystery where... Mystery House. Yeah. <laughs> Time yeah. zone. Ah, fuck that shit. Yeah, that's you know, I, I don't know. Maybe it's more similar than than I thought, because uh, my my father he he started playing video games um, while he was working in the silos, uh, nuclear silos, when he was an officer in the Air Force. Mm. Uh, go imagine what that. What the hell is going on with your family? 
Well, <laughs> you get hit by cars and you work in nuclear silos. Uh, well, he, well, he was he was an officer during the Cold War, and uh, he was just assigned to one of the silos, so he had watch uh, on the button. Have <laughs> you ever seen an uh, an alien autopsy live? I just want to know. No, pretend <laughs> the NSA is not listening. Not a live one. I just, <laughs> I, I just have a mental image of a guy in the control room of like a um, you know a nuclear power plant or whatever playing Doom. Well, the whole thing is overloading in the back. <laughs> well, it, would, it would have been Doom. It would have been Ninja Gaiden. Right. <laughs> he, he, my, my dad's a beast at Ninja Gaiden. He recorded himself. I have, I have tons of recordings of my dad beating various Nintendo games. God, and that was a painfully difficult game. Yeah. Holy oh, man. Yeah. He just went above and beyond, didn't he? Yeah. My, 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 my dad would usually just sit around and, and try to figure out basic and then assembly language on the Commodore 64, and then, you know, me as his little snot-nosed kid would just be tucking at his shirt going, Dad, can I play? Oh, Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> hey, in Danish, a, of course. Uh, this is a good yeah, segue. In Danish. Yeah, this is a good segue to another story, because uh, you mentioned uh, your dad sort of trying to figure out how to do, you know, basic programming uh, on Commodore. In my case, it was uh, an IBM PC clone that we got in 1989, and I distinctly remember uh, the day that uh, that we got it because uh, um, my grandfather had bought it for my brother, and then one day I just came back home from school, and there it was. Um, and I remember we had... I imagine it was also the same pretty much anywhere, but if you bought uh, a, a properly licensed copy of MS-DOS 3.3, which I sort of doubt anyone did, but there you are, uh, you would get the two humongous volumes uh, that were, it was sort of, uh, what do you call it, like spiral binders, I guess? Is that the term? Like binders for, uh, for paper? Yeah, no, that's... Yeah, whatever. You got those two huge volumes, uh, one of which was a manual for uh, GW Basic, and the other was a manual for uh, MS-DOS 3.3. Um, and uh, I remember my dad sort of uh, digging through them and then putting the, uh, you know, the DOS 3. Uh, the operating system was not on ROM on the IBM, uh, on the IBM PC. Um, and then just, you know, listing commands like, uh, uh, you know, DIR for... Uh, uh, listing files on the floppy drive, and that was really a visceral experience for me because it was also the first time I've ever sort of seen uh, a computer being controlled in something that is not very, very rudimentary basic. Um, all my experience up until that point had been with like uh, the ZX Spectrum or Commodore 64 or even the Amstrad, of which were uh, you know sort of immediately uh, operated with basic. And that was like a, a completely different concept for me to have an operating system command prompt mm -hmm. in front. Of me. Oh shit! Oh, I like, used to, I used to mess around with Basic so much. I mean, you mentioned D, uh, GW Basic, and uh, of course, Basic on the Commodore 64. And uh, that was around the time when I figured, hey, I can make games on my own, and just you know, piling on the uh, if-then statements, and uh, you know doing my own little adventure game engine in QBasic uh, until I ran into the memory limit, which was like 80 kilobytes or something. Mm -hmm. um, I've talked about that on the Square Waves FM podcast, and that was, uh, I mean, that was a fun time because, you know, being in school, you have plenty of time when you don't want to do homework, so I was just sitting there and messing around with my stuff. Um, yeah, that, you know, messing around with the, you know, low-level programming 
was tons of fun. I can't do high-level programming. I'm, I'm a complete and total, you know, not a numbers nerd, not a programming. It's, it's too much logical thinking for me, but just, you know, the bare basic, um, low-level programming, like basic, uh, <laughs> well, basic. Um, the, re the reason I tell that, everyone that, that I became a programmer, a <laughs> the reason I tell everyone I became a programmer is because I'm bad at math. <laughs> <laughs> Don't believe it for a second. Oh, I am very bad at math. Like arithmetic and stuff, I'm horrible. I can't calculate a tip on a bill. I can't. I'm, I'm horrible. There is absolutely uh, zero correlation between being good at math and being good at programming. Agreed. <laughs> uh, it has to do with logical thinking more than it does with uh, with math. But uh, you know, just just doing uh, like a like a random number generator in AGS. I have to, you know, Google and copy paste that shit. If if I want, if one hey, character to say a random thing each time, you know, what do I you think do? we, the professional software developers that get paid for it, do? Stack we Google Exchange, Stack Overflow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Stack, Stack Overflow. Yeah. <laughs> and you're talking about DOS. DOS 5.0 changed my life. Oh, why that's is when they that? introduced. Well, that's when they introduced stuff like the the UMB and stuff, and that's when mm -hmm. I really started being able to dig deep into. Uh, you know, using your hardware. Because, you know, before that, you could have, uh, you know, all that, the upper memory, the high memory, more than 640K or whatever. Extended but, and expanded. And yeah, but it was just a pain to use it all. Mm -hmm. I mean, hey, ladies, else, Brian, will, Brian will dig deep into your upper memory. I will. <laughs> <laughs> Does anyone remember uh, which that was version a labor joke? Does anyone remember what? Version of DOS came with like the uh, the multi-boot menu that you could program directly into uh, your config sys and auto exec. I, I I think I only started using it in six. I probably was around before that. Yeah. So an, an amusing anecdote is that I actually figured out uh, a way to implement that before that version of DOS came out. And I was just really supremely proud of myself for having uh, basically programmed something that did the exact same thing. Uh, and then, like, uh, a few months, like, three, three, four months later, uh, that version of DOS came out, and it had, not only did, ha did it have uh, the exact same set of features, it had nearly the exact interface. Uh, the only difference was mine couldn't be directly done with, like, the, the config and auto-exec files. Uh, but then, uh, for years and years, I had this strange vision of, like, Bill Gates escaping, you know, all dressed in black, escaping out <laughs> window cackling to himself madly. I have um, it, I have the answer. <laughs> yeah, only with a thick German accent. You have to have a German accent for some reason. And then the theme from Benny Hill plays. <laughs> I just confirmed that was DOS 6, and that that's the one that had MemMaker, which really pissed me off, because all that stuff oh, I learned how to do in DOS 5, didn't Mem Maker, oh, Mem Maker did it all was automatically. Awesome. Yeah. Hey, that was awesome. Can, can, I, can I get a Hail Mary for hating QEMM? Oh, yeah. Yeah, QEMM was awesome. To hell with QEMM. That, that messed up so many programs of mine and games it's, and such. It had such, you know, the, the occasional compatibility issue, and in my case at least, they were just dastardly rare. Uh, it was so worthwhile because it, it would free up, like, easily... 20 to 60k more uh, more RAM than you could get with like MemMaker and MemMaker wasn't even optimal. Like you could tweak usually like an extra 10 to 15k RAM just doing it manually. Yeah, I mean yeah, MemMaker would give you like 75 percent 
you know, of what you could yeah, do. But still, the only thing you could play with Kiwi Emma was, uh, was the fucking Bananas game from Cubase or something. It was, <laughs> it was, it, it was terrible. Uh, well, and it crashed the game. Not, not even, not even just, uh, you know, um, not even just, uh, you know, refusing to load or anything. It would just, you know, randomly crash games because you were running Kiwi Emma. I hated uh, that thing. Well, wasn't the difference that MapMaker just configured your autoexec and con, um, config.sys and QEM ran as a TSR? TSR, yeah. No, it worked on Magic as far as my teenage brain was concerned. MapMaker MapMaker was uh, coupled with uh, Microsoft's Memory Manager, which was EMM386 and Hyman six dot SYS, which you can probably remember. Yeah. But QEMM was its own fully blown memory manager and. Uh, I don't know why your experiences with it were so bad, Trolls. For me, it was rock solid for years. As soon no, as I bought it, it was just an amazing piece of software. And actually, no. uh, Overdeck Systems is a really impressive company for its time. Has anyone here used DeskView at all? Nope. Heard of it, it never used it. Sounds familiar. DeskView? DeskView, uh, with a Q. It was uh, sort of an, uh, kind of a multi- multitasking operating system with a text-based kind of a single app but switchable UI uh, that would actually give you proper multitasking on top of uh, MS-DOS. And it was actually, like, basically uh, everything Windows 3.11 tried to be uh, with the exception of the graphical interface. So that's something that Windows did that DeskView did not, and that's why Windows, uh, you know, sort of eventually won. But uh, DeskView was actually really, really, really fantastic if you ran BBSs or just about anything. <laughs> if you're is that user, what we're looking at there? Uh, no, that looks like... Uh, was it was a DeskView uh, I'm guessing that's some sort of... Uh, that looks like the worst SimCity game of all time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm more interested in what those eyes are doing down no, it's, there. It's a Unix of some sort. I don't know. Oh, DeskView. Right, S- DeskView X was a DeskView with an X windowing system, which was... Uh, oh, I vaguely remember oh. this and never got anywhere with it. No, DeskView... DeskView uh, without... Was, uh, yeah, this is it. This is there DeskView. you go. Text-based. And it was really lightweight, and you can actually, like, literally run multiple uh, DOS programs on it uh, with a fairly high degree of stability and compatibility. Hmm. And that's something that you couldn't really do up until... At least Windows 95. I was like half expecting uh, uh, Joe's uh, browser to have like a porn hub uh, tab open <laughs> in his browser. But, yeah, uh, maybe I that's keep things up before maybe. before the pub before the hangouts. You know. That's why God invented incognito windows. Exactly. <laughs> and that just went south, didn't it? Dun, dun, dun. Well, Remind me of Do- uh, in DOS games. They had the boss key. Boss key. Oh, exactly. good. All the all the boss key in the, in Lisa Suit Larry was fucking hilarious. It was uh, <laughs> it, it it did not have anything to do with the because the uh, boss key just showed a spreadsheet of uh, different flavored condoms or different types of condoms and such, and it would not look <laughs> anything like uh, you know anything you you would be working on. It's like, and, it's like, it was like the, the worst best, like the fake part. DOS prompt screen possible. Yeah, and the best part was you, that you couldn't get out of it. It was <laughs> it, it would literally lock up the game. <laughs> oh man! So if, you, if you hit the boss key, you were just screwed. <laughs> I loved that. So I have a question for everybody. Um, one of you guys were talking about like pl- up all night playing games. Oh, I think it was. Um, uh, 
think not it was, Martin. We were talking about Tomer. civilization. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, yeah. And I was trying to think of my first up all nights, and uh, there was a game called Labyrinth of Time. Labyrinth and, of Time. And for some no, reason, no. I yeah, it wasn't that popular. I mean, I know a few people played it, but it was kind of like Mist, where you had screens, um, you know, just still views, and then you would walk forward or back. But it was, you know, built on a grid view, so there was more of a like a, like a uh, I don't know a, a map that you could chart. You know, you really couldn't map out your movement in Mist very well. This was all grid-based movement, but. You know, for some reason, I stayed up all night playing that game and woke. You know, when my alarm went off to wake me up to to get ready for school, I was like, "Oh crap! I've been playing all night." I stayed home sick that day. <laughs> but uh, you know, like Zelda on the original NES and uh, Resident Evil on the PlayStation, those are all the first games I can really think of. What about you guys? Anybody have any other up all night playing games? Not realizing you were playing all night? I mean, definitely World of Warcraft. That that's a little more modern for yeah. sure. Uh, when I was uh, when I was younger, it was a Double O Seven. That was that was the first game I ever passed out to. Oh, like the N sixty four. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, yeah. The first and, game you ever passed out to? Yeah. You, you have more on this list. Oh well, yeah. Uh, I recently Metal Gear Solid made me uh, Metal Gear Solid Five. That was my recent one. But I used to stay up uh, and play uh, Starcraft, and I also would stay up and play. Uh, what was it? It was like. It, it was, no, Civilization was one... I didn't stay up and pass out and play Red Civilization, but it was another game. It was kind of weird. It was a, a game that I got... It was a game that I got one of those shuffleware discs that had, like, like 500 games on there. Mm-hmm. And, and it was some weird strategy game that involved um, fighter jets. I can't remember what it was called. And then there was another one called Stars. I don't know if you remember Stars. With an exclamation point. Stars! Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that game. So, yeah, I've had many. I get get pretty addicted to certain games I enjoy. I remember sitting around playing uh, Gabriel Knight 2 until, like, 4 in the morning, and then I got to the uh, part where Von Sell is in the cave eating human bones, like decrepit human bones, and just going, okay, my room is dark. I think it's time to go to bed now. Click. Off you go. Sometimes I wish my side effects of my binge gaming were as mild as passing out. I, uh, <laughs> I, I'm embarrassed by mine. When I was a kid, I would play, and you know, so one of one of you guys already mentioned the whole forget to go to the bathroom, and then my mom would yell at me about streaks in my underwear. So <laughs> <laughs> I was a kid. Well, that, <laughs> that hasn't happened in like two or three years, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've I've got a couple of uh, uh, stories about uh, games that have. Really messed with my head and shaped me um, weirdly, but they're not from the DOS or free Windows XP gaming era. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I want to know what shaped you. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, actually, actually, this is this is kind of goes over. Sorry, uh, I said we were going to go deep. Uh, um, I've already talked about uh, Gone Home on uh, uh, Brian's podcast, the Square Riffs mm-hmm. podcast, and that was uh, quite recent, yeah. and uh, it was actually during my uh, summer vacation uh, this year, and uh, I had, uh, you know, three weeks off um, of work, and I was, uh, you know, f- you know, for, for some, it, it, it was the uh, Steam summer sale, and just picked up Gone Home for, for cheap, and just, uh, you know, uh, decided, hey, it's uh, 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm just going to play through this real quick and see what, what it is, and it, and literally um, 
for the next three days, I was wandering around in stupor, um, just completely blown away by that game. I was, uh, and I haven't been the same person since. I mean, I couldn't jack off for three days. It was that powerful. Um, uh, Strong words. I thought you were going to say you 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 played the game for three days, and that's like a three-hour game, not a three-day game. No, no, I no, I I played it for I played it for like uh, two hours, and then I I replayed it just to see if I had missed anything which I did, and then I uh, woke up the next day and I spent four hours watching other people play the game just because I wanted to see everything that was in it. That game, uh, and, and again, this is a very, very recent thing, but that that, that game just really, really changed uh, the way I look at storytelling in games. It's it's just the most uh, the most powerful story I've ever seen in a computer game ever. Oh, and I fully I agree. It gets a lot of shit for not being a real game and all that kind of uh, bullshit, which is not true in the least. It's uh, it's one of the most powerful stories I've ever seen in a computer game. Yeah. Most people who don't think it's a real game are people who think a real game has to have a shooting mechanic or something like yeah, that. Yeah, or so. some sort of a, because it does it does this one thing really really brilliantly, which is that you uh, if if you go in cold and you don't know what the game's about, you you, you go into it uh, thinking it's like a haunted house story or that ghosts are going to pop out at any moment and such, and it's not like that at all. Yeah, and even and though get, I even though I knew what the game was about. I still thought that from time to time, like something's gonna happen, something's gonna happen, because yeah, it is this creepy house. Yeah. Right? You know, the first hour, I kept expecting some sort of puzzle to come up, because I thought it was gonna be like a modern day seventh guest or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it didn't do that at all. And 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 by the end of it, I was, you know, not not to spoil shit and stuff, but by the time I got to the attic, I was like really like, and and I, and I was sober when I played it. This is how powerful <laughs> the game was. When when I got to the attic, I was like, "Oh, please, God, don't let this be what I think it's gonna be," because yeah. I thought I was like wandering into a suicide or something, and um, and it did not do that at all. And when the ending, you know, finally popped up, um, again, not trying to spoil anything, but I was just so elated. I was so, uh, you know, it, it really. I mean, there was a lump in my throat by the end of that game, mm-hmm. and uh, I've never felt like that with a game before or since. Um, Absolutely. And I mean, I, I think it's actually, it, it would be an interesting topic for you to do maybe in season three of Backseat Designers, but, uh, you know, is, the, is it an adventure game? Uh, I, would, I would say it's a, it's a story game. It's, a, it's one of those visual novels uh, kind of thing. It's, you know, it's, it's an adventure game in the sense that you're on an adventure and you kind of, you know, solve puzzles or you pick up keys to go through uh, doors and such, but it's not like, a, you know, uh, pick up shit, give shit to other characters and stuff like that. In it's fact, is there even any? The there almost aren't like inventory items at all. You basically pick up things and put them back. Yeah, exactly. There's 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 none of that shit. But it and 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 for any lesser story than that, it would have been you know kind of uh, what the hell am I doing? Why am I even bothering with this stuff? But, but the uh, you know when when I was playing it at least, I didn't even I didn't even feel like I was being led on the string because when, when you look back on it, it's a very linear game. Uh, but it didn't feel like that. It felt like uh, you know, it's it's so masterfully designed that you don't feel like you you feel like you're able to explore the house. Uh, but then when you go back and play, it, you you realize that uh, you know clues and stuff are scattered in a way to make you feel like you're discovering this uh, this shit on your own. But you're really being you are being led on the string, but it doesn't feel like it. Um, so my hat is off to the creators of Gone Home because that is one of the most powerful experiences I've ever had. Um, and I know one uh, of the, one of the guys. Game in. 
Yeah, one of the guys that did it, I can't remember his name right now, but for a while he actually had a really good podcast where he would interview other game developers and they would have some very interesting, very deep conversations about game design and theory of game design and storytelling in games. So I'll have to, I can't remember the name of it right now and it's ended, but he would run into other game developers at conferences and stuff and grab, grab them and drag them into a, a closet and, and interview them. And they had some mm-hmm. really, really good talks. So uh, I know Tomer's got a couple more stories. Uh, if uh, if Brian or Martin do, then uh... oh, just just briefly, just briefly. Yep. Uh, yep. Uh, what what I'm gl- what I'm glad that Gone Home didn't do was to actually put uh, you know puzzles in my way and uh, not you know make me uh, you know get me stuck and uh, not being able to progress the story because I got stuck on something that would have taken me out of it. Yeah. Because it has such an excellent flow. Um, yeah, that's basically. Oh, what yeah. I, I've, I've got one more story, but I want to hear from Tomer. Okay. Go for it, Tomer. Um, right. So one of my very early kind of computer-related memories are um, a neighbor of ours ran a uh, sort of a preschool, I guess, for like a grade. Uh, you know, it's not even a grade. It's like when you're four or something. I don't know what the expression is. Yeah, preschool uh, sounds about right. Yeah, and uh, they had a computer there, and contrary to most uh, similar uh Kind of private institutions that actually, that could actually afford you know any any kind of computer, uh, they had an Amiga, uh, and specifically Amiga 1000. So it was like literally the original uh, Commodore Amiga, and those things were exceedingly rare in Israel. So it was pretty much uh, one of two Amigas I've ever seen before owning one, and uh, it, it took me forever to find one uh, for my collection. Uh, almost five years, actually. But anyway, uh, the experience is that I uh, saw that thing, and to me, uh, back then, I was like probably five or or maybe six, so all I had exposure to were uh, just a a few very different machines, like Apple II, Commodore, uh, uh, an Amstrad at some point, and, and a PC. And so computers were basically all lumped together into this one concept of, a concept of a computer. I didn't really recognize the differences. And uh, the first time that I ever saw that machine was uh, when it ran. Uh, has anyone here uh, played Defender of the Crown? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. On, on the Commodore 64 as well. Oh, yeah, it had a version for pretty much any platform under the sun. Wave the music them. was fantastic. So, so the very first uh, version of that game uh, dates back to 1986, and it's a Cinemaware game. So that's a company. Actually, that that, that ties in into something else we mentioned earlier. Uh, Rob Landeros uh, was the executive producer on that, and he also produced and really? directed uh, the Seventh Guest, and yes. uh, unfortunately, later on, the Eleventh Hour. So that's an <laughs> interesting bit of trivia there. Hashtag uh, the house is a rapist. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Joe was the only one who got that joke. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, wow. Okay, I only got the rate. Oh, okay, never mind. Um, so, yeah, so I tried Defender of the Crown, and uh, Cinemaware was an interesting early co- early kind of gaming company, uh, and they had this, uh, what is nowadays would be considered more of a mid-90s full-motion video kind of uh, thing, but they had this vision of, Sort of translating the cinematic feel of uh, of movies to computer games to interactive media, 
And so uh, all their games that included uh, quite a few classics, some of which are quite well-known, uh, were basically uh, a, a basic kind of thematic experience where uh, in Defender of the Crown, for instance, you play a uh, one of, I think, four Saxon lords that... Um, that vie for control of England and need to first drive out the, the Norman the Norman kind of lords that have invaded the land and there's uh, Robin Hood involved and all, all that stuff. Cinemaware. So yeah, yeah. Cinemaware, that's the one. So it's it uh, it's sort of, for desserts. It's <laughs> sort of a very basic overland strategy game, except that um, Basically, everything that actually happens, like if you move an army and you attack another army or you attack a castle or, or pretty much anything that goes on in that game are, are sort of like scenes from a movie. So they had a swordplay scene that uh, has like shadows on the walls in the vein of like the... That was so good looking. Amazing for the time. <laughs> and... Uh, um, yeah, they, it referenced a lot of like uh, Robin Hood movies and sort of uh, like old English uh, historical uh, novels and all that stuff. Uh, it was actually a, a decent game, not a lot more than that, but what what it had going for it was uh, it had, first off, the most amazing pixel art you will ever see, especially considering the, the limitations of the medium, because it was 320 by 240 by, uh, I think he actually used a, a limited color palette of typically up to 16 colors. Uh, so it was sort of analogous. Defender of the Ground? Yeah. And, uh, at the, welcome the, back, uh, by the way. What's that? Oh, just welcome back, Craig. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, the artist was uh, James D. Socks, and he actually did some uh, amazing early artwork around the Amiga space. And uh, the other thing that struck me was the music, uh, because it was this... Uh, let me let me uh, send you a link in a second because uh, I recorded the actual music from um, from the Amiga version of the game just so that I could play it at my leisure and it's on my website uh, with permission from the from the musician. Hey Tomer, I actually think they re-released that recently on uh, they, mobile platforms. They did, and it's shit. It's not the same game. It's a remake, and it's just not really very good. And, okay. You know, I really wanted to to root for them, but. Uh, as with many other kind of uh, reboots of companies, remakes of games, it was just basically not very good. Yeah, um, the less said about Dungeon Keeper, the better. <laughs> we don't have to talk about that. Good example there. So with, uh, with respect to Defender of the Crown, it, it, first of all, it was a very early showcase of what the Amiga could do because the, the, the music and the graphics and the animations and everything was just so well ahead of the curve for 1986. It's, it's not even funny. Uh, and it just blew me away, and it was also the, the experience that taught me um, the fundamental difference between hardware platforms, because up until that point, I just had no idea that there's an actual difference between a PC or a Spectrum or an Apple II or whatever. They were just all sort of different interfaces to the same kind of fundamental concept that I had in mind. So, uh, yeah, and also it... it uh, I never owned an Amiga uh, back in its heyday, but I was so thoroughly impressed with that machine that I spent years from like age 11 to 16 trying to track one, you know, sort of track one to buy for my collection, uh, and then spent two months figuring out how to get software downloaded from the internet, like disk images, onto it. But it was totally worth it. It's just an amazing machine. 
Jesus, I I don't I mean uh, Cinema Board Games um, really try to live up to their name um, with uh, you know ancient hardware, ancient in air quotes, um, and you know Defender of the Crown really just had amazing graphics even on the Commodore 64. It was just like really just how the hell did they squeeze this onto? I think Defender of the Crown on the 64 was like uh, a single disc. Or maybe it was a couple of discs, but uh, it was really, really like, how the hell did they do that? Yeah, even the PC version was actually uh, pretty, pretty compelling for the time, uh, both graphics-wise. Well, not music-wise, but graphics-wise. And it could also take advantage of, uh, of the Tandy uh, back in the day, which was pretty unusual. Ooh. See, I yeah, remember playing it on the Atari ST, and it was... Um... Back then, the ST could do up to 4,096 colors, so the color palette on it was pretty sweet. 4,000? 4,000, yeah, in the Atari ST, and it's, uh, you know, I don't want to call it low res, the, the best mode, 320 by, I think, 200, uh, could, could do up to 4,096 colors. But it wasn't beaten by the Amiga. I think the Amiga could do more. Uh, the Amiga could do, out of the box, about the same with uh, what is called the Ham 8 mode, but... Uh, it's not a very practical sort of thing. So you need to use, like, as with anything, the demo scene came up with uh, massive tweaks for pretty much any hardware platform, the Amiga inclusive. So uh, you, could, you could actually do a lot with both machines. And they were quite comparable, but I think the Amiga had uh, the better sound, definitely the better sound hardware for the time, uh, but also, right. I feel, the better operating system. And I, well, and I think the Atari actually had the better graphics so uh, it, might, it might have had. Um, so between the but the, between the two, it was very comparable because porting stuff over seemed to happen fairly quickly. Well, it, they had the same CPU, uh, the uh, the old classic. Uh, the Motorola's. Mm -hmm. uh, and were you know they were similar enough, but the, the graphics hardware and sound hardware were fundamentally different between those machines. Uh, like the SD had the old AY uh, synthesis chip. That was actually really, really popular in uh, like early '80s computers, and it was it had like three channel, you know, either square or saw wave generators plus a noise channel. It was basically a piece of crap. It was uh, probably analogous to what the the, the original NES had uh, in terms of a sound chip. You could do a lot with it, but it was kind of a piece of crap. Can I just throw out a quick uh, cheers for everyone who was drinking? Sure. Had a question no about that whatsoever. About those old computers you guys were talking about, I never had any of them. I played on them before, but didn't they function more like a console where you, you just put a game in and turn it, you know, launch the game? You didn't have to, you know, configure nope. anything. The, 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 the Amiga and the Atari had their own disk operating systems. Yeah. Okay. I think they you're talking were, about and, you're and talking and about booters. And uh, the Amiga was the first to do true multitasking, if I remember correctly. Uh, I don't know that it was the well. It certainly was not the first computer, but I think it might have been uh, first the home computer. The second home computer because the Mac came out a year earlier, and it was you know a piece of crap in many ways, but uh, still it had a, a proper multi multitasking operating system. Yeah, uh, but you couldn't play games. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just a manhole. I could talk about uh, old hardware all day, so. Let's move on. To so, else. hey Martin, I've got a question for you. I've got a question for you. When, yeah, when did you first? What just happened? Well, what was the name? 
The NSA just chimed up. Jesus! Stop doing that! Stop doing that! Okay. Okay. Someone put on headphones. Anyone? Anyone? Ooh, I'll just. Crazy I muted. It wasn't me. Okay. I think Tom it was Tomer. Oh yeah, it looks like it was Tomer. Tomer. No, go ahead. What were you saying? I was yeah. asking what the first. Um, when did you first get a PC? Do you know around what year you, you okay. got into PC gaming? Yeah. So it's it's kind of all over the place. I could say the first time I had a computer in the home that I was allowed to put games on was around '95. And so uh, I remember they, they just picked up a, a pre-built Windows 95 machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the very first things that I got for it was uh, my dad. He gave me his X-Wing. X-Wing. So I was playing X-Wing on the, that, that computer for a long time. Uh, and my dad would burn me CDs of his games, but the, the CD drive I had couldn't read any burnt CDs. So I had all this collection of burnt CDs that I couldn't use. So when I went to go visit my dad, I would play all of his games. But the first computer that I owned was mine, that was truly mine, oh, I got it in 2003, and it was a laptop. And uh, I played all sorts of crazy games on there that don't really, they don't, I can't remember, just, I think Command & Conquer Generals was the first one I really played on there that was mine, and MechWarrior 4. Uh, but my first, like, True Blue built from the ground up, PC I got as a uh, birthday present in 2004. Cool. And then, uh, yeah, and that's that was my Call of Duty 2 incident. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> well, I mean, realistically, the first computer I had that was mine, I got it when I was doing, like, undergrad. I got a, a Pentium 3 laptop. I mean, the rest of that time, like, all the other computers I ever played on were, like, my, you know, my dad's computer or the family computer. And, and my father always told me, you know, I'd always say, oh, I want a computer that's my own, or I want a faster computer, or I want this, or I want that. And he always, and, and he always said my whole life that, oh, you know, if you go to school and you get into computers, then we'll get you a computer. And that was kind of his way to make me go away <laughs> until I was actually in university. And I said, hey, you've been telling me my whole life that if I went to school and I learned how to program and blah, 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 and did something useful, quote, unquote, with computers, you would buy me one. He's like, fine. <laughs> this is like the antithesis of my uh, dad's story. Yeah, this well, is I'm, like uh, you know, my 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 dad, my dad would just throw computers at me and just uh, expect me to do something with them. And your dad was like, "Yeah, I'll get you a computer if you can prove yourself worthy." <laughs> but yeah, the uh, well, I guess for me it was always like we always had computers. I always had the freedom to do what I wanted with them. But it was always, you know, and I think much like you, it was like, this is the one you have, this is the one you can use. But if I, but the thing that was different for me was with my dad is like, if he needed it for business purposes, then go away. But I had it, I had access to it 99% of the time. If the computer rooms are rocking, don't come on mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh Not to sully your dad or anything. Um, <clears throat> Well, I guess, no, that was probably for me when I would be secretly playing Leisure Suit Larry. <laughs> you had to secretly play it because I played it with my dad, and that was one of the weirder experiences of my life. <laughs> He's just sitting there going, fuck the prostitute, fuck the prostitute. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Just, my mom was way Christian. Was way Christian. Seen 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 Doom or Leisure Suit Larry on my PC. She would have killed me. So, yeah, I had to play those real late at night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
that was that must have been one of those uh, you know two or three a.m. kind of things where you like uh, you know huddled over the computer trying to make it not sound uh, you know not make the sound carry and stuff. Um, oh yeah, that I remember. Like I'd want to be secretly because we would turn you know now my computer is on twenty four seven my desktop for sure. But back in the day, you know we we would turn it off, and so you know and if I wanted to, if I wanted to like sneak out of my bedroom and play something, you'd have to go and then, you know, flick the, the switch, click, because it's a big hardware switch, and then it would go, and start beeping, and I'm like, oh, God, quiet, quiet, stop. Yeah, the motor. Yeah, I did a similar thing with, uh, uh, when I was playing Fantastic Warrior 2, and I had, you know, moved out, I was living with my girlfriend, now my wife, and, um, I would I would play uh, you know Fantasmagoria too while she was uh, you know at university and stuff. Uh, we went to the same university. We had this little dorm college room stuff, and uh, I was you know I, re- I remember just you know leaving the game on while I was doing ironing or dishes or something, and she came home at one point. And uh, it was playing this movie of uh, you know the later stages of the game where you're at the S and M club. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe it's one of those flashbacks where uh, uh, Therese, the S and M girl, is kind of um, you know doing stuff to you, <laughs> and she just went and go, "What the hell are you doing when I'm not at home?" It's, I don't, honey. It's just a game. It's a game. It's a <laughs> I'm not a weirdo. So did you like it? <laughs> Phantasmagoria too. Now, see, here's the thing about Phantasmagoria too. No, the uh, designer of Phantasmagoria too, Lorelai Shannon, is a fantastically funny person. Uh, I'm good friends with her on uh, Facebook and such, um, but I will unequivocally state that her game is total and utter shit. I like the first I one. I like the first one. I, you did. No. I hate the no. first one, and I no. actually really enjoy the puzzle of flesh. I mean, I don't have any any doubts that a lot of the criticism that you would probably level at that game is uh, well funded. Well founded. But uh, Jackson, you can tell your Jackson. friend from me that she did a great job, and it's a really enjoyable game. Just for trolls. Uh-oh. Dun, dun, oh, dun, God. Dun. Wow. I still have my bottle. Oh, wow. Oh, oh my, mine is in storage oh. with my parents. What does it say? Um, it's uh, seven CDs inside. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. Oh, that's the first one, then, because the second one yes. was, I think, five. Yes. Yeah, well, the second one sucks. I do have the original uh, box of uh, Phantasmagoria, and uh, I used it uh, to, uh, you know, I dug it out of my basement, and I, uh, you know, put it in the toilet and flipped the bird at it <laughs> and took a picture of it for uh, for Twitter, and I, I just reached under the bed to see if I still had the, uh, you know, the little bag with all my old game boxes in it. Um, I can't find it right now, but uh, I, I do have the boxed copy of it as well. Don't ask me why. I'm starting to think you could be the DOS version of the angry video game nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I think he already has. I actually always envision uh, Trolls and Freds on their podcasts as being those two uh, crotchety old guys from The Muppet Show. They don't go anywhere don't go near anywhere. where he goes. <laughs> I, w- I will take that as a huge compliment, the whole uh, crotchety Muppet thing. Because, uh, you know, the angry, angry, angry video game nerd is, uh, is one of my you know, huge inspirations, actually. He's uh, a tremendously funny guy and not really as angry in real life. I would um, imagine. 
I, I do have one more story of uh, something that uh, deeply affected me. Sure. Uh, not as a kid, but uh, one of those one of those games that really you know um, you know stayed with me for a while. And this is going to sound really strange. So this was actually a story I was saving for uh, Brian's uh, podcast, uh, my second appearance on emotionally charged games. Uh, but I'm going to you know spill the beans right here, right now. Sorry, Brian. Um, um, yeah, sorry, Brian. Um, Project Zero on the uh, PlayStation, really? uh, also known as Fatal Frame in the uh, United States. Um, on its surface, it's just a survival horror game with a bunch of ghosts, and you're running around taking pictures of it, and it's very Japanese and such. Uh, but if you uh, sit down and actually read all of the journal entries that you uh, find around the uh, haunted Japanese mansion and stuff, it's really, really heartbreaking. And I mean genuinely, genuinely heartbreaking. Um, uh, not to spoil too much, but I'm going to anyway because there's no way I can accurately describe just how heartbreaking it is. Um, you've got this family, and for some reason they've got the door to hell in their basement. Don't ask me why. Um, and to uh, you know keep the door locked, they have to um, perform this weird ritual where um, they select a girl in this really, really weird kids game. Uh, they select a girl to be sacrificed to the Hellgate, and they keep her in a room until she reaches maturity, like uh, 17 or 18 years, and she has to stay away from all human contact, so she, so she remains uh, you know, mentally and physically pure. This is very Japanese, by the way. Mm. Um, but in, in, in this story, she, uh, uh, the, uh, you know, in flashbacks, you know, the girl's already dead, but, but she haunts the mansion, and so does a bunch of other ghosts. And uh, she uh, actually she snuck out and started seeing this guy who kept uh, you know coming into the mansion and they had this sort of um, uh, illicit romance kind of thing and um, for the whole business to work with securing the Hellgate she has to remain emotionally pure that means uh, no emotional attachment to anyone in the world at all um, you know the family and, uh, and and especially no love interests at all so. Um, she meets this guy, and uh, the monks that are kind of guarding her drops him into a well, and she becomes really, really sad. And the whole ritual is comprised of uh, them taking her on her 18th birthday or something, taking her into the cellar, putting her on a sacrificial table, tying ropes around her uh, arms and legs, and then slowly pulling her apart, then taking the blood-soaked uh, ropes and tying them around the hell gate. And... The entire thing is just so, you know, you gradually learn this throughout the game, and by the time you get to the actual Hellgate itself and encounter this, you know, ghost of this woman who's just an incredible excruciating pain, uh, uh, shrieking at you, um, not only because she's been torn limb from limb, but also because she's, you know, brokenhearted and all this stuff. It's just, Jesus God, what am I doing? Hmm. Um that stuck with me for the longest fucking time. Bang. What is the name of this game? Fatal Project Frame. Zero. Or, or, or Fatal Frame. Flash Frame. Wait, what year was this? 2002. Uh, 2002. Uh, and I played this game with uh, a, a good friend of mine uh, who... Um, uh, you know, left the country when he was drafted for the military, so it just comes on, you know, these uh, infrequent uh, visits, 
and uh, you know we uh, turned off all the lights, lit candles, uh, smoked some weed back. Uh, you know it was my university days, and we just said, hey, we're gonna sit down and play this horror game. It's gonna be fantastic. Light a couple of candles, turn off all the lights. The opening scene of that game is just phenomenal. I mean, you go up these uh, stairs. You're, you're this little girl with a fucking camera. Sorry. And uh, and you walk up the stairs, and then you turn around, and you just hear it creaking on the stairs. There's no one there. And you turn around, and all of a sudden, it just jumps out in your face. And by that, you know, when that happened, we just went, right, lights are coming on. <laughs> Screw this. Um, it's it's both phenomenally creepy, but if you take the... I mean, on the surface, again, it's just a creepy survival horror game. You're just running around the haunted mansion, defeating ghosts with your camera. Again, don't ask. But if you take the time to read the journals and such, that is one haunting story, no pun intended. I've heard the gameplay referred to as Resident Evil meets Pokemon Snap. Wow, that's quite the uh, quite the explanation. No, I played Fatal. No, I What? That's an accurate representation. Hmm. Cool. I think my stream just went bananas on me. Everyone just, uh, you know, went back to 16-bit color. It's <laughs> hey, a retro podcast. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you can actually. If anybody wants to play it, it's on the PS3 store now on the PSN. Oh, cool. If you have it, I, 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 I would highly recommend it, but I did just, you know, kick back and watch my friend play it because, again, it's a survival horror game, and I'm terrible at those things. So whenever we encountered ghosts, I mean, there's combat in it, and, you, and combat is essentially taking pictures of ghosts that kind of, you know, dissipates them or something, and it's absolutely that part of the game is awful. Uh, the actual, you know, gameplay part of the game is awful, but the story is just fantastic. Well, then maybe it's worth a, a let's play viewing. Hmm. <laughs> Let somebody else deal with the combat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Again, couldn't Again. couldn't jack off for a week after playing that thing. <laughs> <laughs> now that we know all your disturbing stories. Following up on the on troll story, uh, I think. Also, sort of a shaping experience, but pretty much the only time I've ever uh, like I don't I don't scare easily uh, with movies as well as with uh, games, uh, but pretty much the only the, the first time I was ever properly frightened like uh, out of my wits in a computer game uh, was actually in uh, System Shock Two. Oh, uh, so I imagine that most people. That. What's that? I still haven't I played st it. Wow. I know. I, I, I should know. probably be putting quarters in a quarters. Uh, jar like you know trolls because I've never played that one. Fix that now. Fix that now. Yeah. I own it on Steam. It honestly hasn't aged that well graphically, but gameplay-wise, it's still incredibly good, in my opinion. Uh, there's actually a couple mods that improved the graphics quite a bit. I mean, it is a very, very old game. It's from uh, 1998 or nine. I'm not sure which. Uh, so it makes it a very old game in, in 3D game terminology, at least. Um, and because you haven't, uh, because Craig at least hadn't played it, I won't spoil it for spoil it for anyone. Uh, but just a hint for those of you who have played the game, uh, that sort of Temple of Shodan scene when you get to uh, to, to a certain uh, stage in the game, and you know it's basically the first plot twist in the game. Um, that was the only scene I have ever, uh, I was ever genuinely frightened in in a computer game because it, 
it takes something that you sort of know all along, but it you know the game only sort of hints at or alludes to in, in very broad terms, and you and the antagonist in that game is one that's sort of uh, in the background up to, up until that point in the story, uh, and they manage to make the scene where. Uh, you sort of meet the antagonist kind of in person for the first time, just incredibly uh, compelling. It's just really, really, really... It, it takes you by surprise, even if you saw it coming. You know, there's probably like eight or ten hours of gameplay uh, up until you get to that point, and you see it coming all the way through, and it still takes you by surprise. So that was just fantastic. Mm. Really a good experience. Sorry, sorry. What, what's what's the most emotional um, reaction you've ever had to a, a computer game? Because you know, I've, I've talked about the uh, Gabriel Knight two thing where he munches on zombie bones or whatever and just have to turn off the computer. Talked about Gone Home. Talked about um, uh, Project Zero just a second ago. What's the most emotional reaction you've ever had to computer games? Anyone? Anyone? This yeah, a tough one. Yeah, tough one. intro. The seventh guest intro. Guest intro. Yes. Huh. Oh, did not see that coming. No, it's it, it has several several things going for it, and I, I mentioned it, it brief, briefly in uh, um, in an episode of uh, Score Waves FM that I did a few weeks back. And uh, what happens is both the, the the technology was so well ahead of its time, so the very fact that you could actually see like full motion video running a you know, full screen and, and Super VGA on a 386 off of a CD-ROM drive was just uh, mind-boggling in of itself. But the intro for the game uh, has one of the most kind of cinematic feels to it that I've ever experienced in a computer game. Because you get the, you know, right from the, right off the bat, you get this uh, Trilobite company logo, you know, sort of uh, a game by Trilobite, blah, blah, blah. And then you have the violins in the background, and it flows smoothly into the Virgin Multimedia logo and then actually to the intro of the game. And the whole thing is just kind of... Uh, I think it's it might have been the first time. I don't know that it actually was the first time, but it certainly feels like it was the first time for a computer game to ever kind of have a flowing, one-shot, cinematic kind of introduction sequence oh, to it. Oh, yeah, when oh, the, yeah, when the yeah, Thundercats yeah. hits and the Seventh Guest logo pops up, like, mm -hmm. perfectly in sync, you just go, oh, yeah. I think that was the orchestral hit in the background. audio. Sorry, what? I said, I think that was one of the first games that used digital audio for its introduction. And the whole, you know, that, you're talking about Seventh Guest? Yeah. yeah, that whole thing was uh, uh, Redbook audio, uh, the entire intro, by the way, I, which is why it's so impressive that they timed it just perfect for the Thunderclap to roll in and then the uh, Seventh Guest logo pops up. I was yeah, so I impressed. Knew, I, I knew Seventh Guest was the first one to use FMV, but I didn't know it had other technological... Wasn't the first that used FMV as yeah. such? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, uh, Axel Software were doing that Holy shit, that is distracting. <laughs> Uh, wasn't it like the first used FMV on CD or something like that? Yeah, CD. Yeah. Uh, no, not on CD. No. No, for full motion, yes, but not the first with video. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, it was the first one with full screen video. Okay. I shall have to excuse myself for just a brief second. I know we're kind of winding down. Uh, yeah. But uh, I will be back in just a tick. 
Well, to answer Troll's question, uh, one of the games that kind of shocked me with, uh, it had, I don't know, called an emotional impact, but it also shaped me was Ultima 3. I don't know, this goes way back. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember spending an entire summer, I, five days, seven days a week, playing that game over and over and over and getting to the very end and finding out that what you're actually fighting was a computer and not a monster. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's... spoilers. <laughs> yeah, I know it was a total spoiler, but how many of you are going to go back and play Ultima Three totally at this point? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for me, I guess a game. Well, there's a couple of games that kind of like floored me, but I mean, from a technological perspective, and I've mentioned this before, was uh, one of the first times I played Wing Commander One, uh, just because I was trying. I was trying to think back to if that was one of the first VGA games I played. But definitely the one of the first games that had any sort of like rotoscope type ad- animation, and so it was just like so I think just like... I was playing it on like you know a 286, and I was basically looking at it and, and experiencing you know the mission briefing and then the scramble to your the ship. Scramble and stuff. gets me pumped every time I watch it. Yeah, like even to this day, like it doesn't look bad, you know, <laughs> like and it's just like I didn't think that a computer could look that way. Like I, I think I've said that multiple times on the show, but. You know, that, that's something that just floored me. I was, like, at my friend's house, and he had this fancy new 386 with a CD-ROM with a caddy. And, uh, you know, he uh, he showed me that. And then I said, no, 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 you have a 386. There's no way my computer could do this. And he lent me the game, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I installed it at home, and I said, wow, it, it works the same. My, my computer could do this. That's crazy. I love those moments when you discover yeah. something your computer can do you didn't know it could do. Mm-hmm. What was that, Martin? I'm sorry. Oh, I was gonna talk about what what trolls had had brought up. Uh, it's it's hard for me to pinpoint when I got emotional, but I can tell you that uh, I, I've been shocked before uh, on a video game. Uh, I didn't say the first time ever that I was just shocked was when um, Seth got shot by Kane in Command and Conquer. Mm-hmm. Oh of, man, I blew it for us. Uh, more spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> well, like it's 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 like it's it's like not even a third through the game. But I mean, my dad yeah, worked it's like at the super Pentagon. early, right? Yeah. Yeah, my dad worked at the Pentagon when I while, while I played this game for the first time, and so I I this is my first time ever playing Command and Conquer. My only experience was Red Alert. So going backwards to playing Command and Conquer was 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 a treat for me because I wanted to see what this game was like because it was way more technological than Red Alert Two was. But um, I got used to this guy named Seth, and I didn't know who Kane was. I ne- not a single person ne- has ever told me about Kane at this point. And uh, he talks about him a lot, and he's like, okay, we're going to attack the Pentagon. I'm like, oh, cool, my dad works there. I <laughs> I'm going to blow it up. <laughs> I'm going to blow it up. And, and then just in, just in the middle of briefing, nonchalantly, wasn't no build-up, no nothing, just a gun comes out of nowhere and shoots him in the head. And I'm, well, I'm what am I, like nine, nine years old? And this just blows my mind. And there, there's this bald-headed guy, creepy as hell. And that's the, that, that's it shocked the hell out of me. And it, it, it resonated to this day. But why, like, lo- love Command and Conquer so much? As, as far as like maybe getting emotional in, in like, um, in probably the more traditional sense of the word, uh, it's I can't really find a game on, on the PC that made me get that way. But I don't know. <laughs> but I can tell you that Super uh, Super Paper Mario for the Wii uh, gave me a few tears. Really? Yeah. Well, that is actually a very good game, but I'm surprised it would you know 
go to the point where you would actually be moved to tears because I've played almost the entire way through it, and well, it's, it's good. It is, it's good. Well, t for some reason, Count Black's story, the main villain, really got to me on like a personal level. Hmm. Because, really? Uh, yeah, it's just uh, the whole lost, the lost love type thing. And where yeah. his his whole his whole thing is that he he lost the person that he loves and now he's out to destroy the world because he can't find love anymore, and then at the end everything goes for Soko, and he you know, it, it was a little that's, that's actually that's actually a, a you know a, I'm 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 with you on that I mean I'm not I'm not judging or anything but I'm I'm with you on that because the whole love Lauren kind of thing is uh, you know when I look back on on stuff that has resonated with me emotionally be it books or movies or computer games, it's always the uh, love lovers. I mean, uh, I will shamefully admit that, you know, I got a lump in my throat the first time I watched Titanic before it got to this huge fucking thing. Um, so, uh, so, uh, so, 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 yeah, the whole, the whole uh, you know, love lovers, the love lost kind of thing. What the hell is going on with Um Yeah, that's, that's one of the things that resonate with me as well. Oh, very cool. In silence, once again. I'm a master of this. <laughs> <laughs> what to do next? We're just we're just all trying to figure out someone else is going to interject. Well, that's the thing about emotional stories. There's not a yeah. whole lot of uh, like you know cheering or laughing. Cheering like, or like making story. yeah. <laughs> just taking what's the away. what's the weirdest thing? I mean, uh, that's actually a good thing. What's the weirdest thing you've ever found yourself emotionally attached to? Uh, Portal two. What Portal two? <laughs> When uh, no spoilers, but when you find out that Gladys was basically the AI version of um, can't remember the girl's name now, and then Gladys like, oh, I found her. Now I've deleted her. And to <laughs> me, that was like, what? <laughs> like you find out that she's like actually has human in her, and then she deletes her human. That oh, was, I, I read that about the that. Played in the last ten years. Mm -hmm. What was that? That's the best game I've played in the last ten years. Carolyn was her name. Carolyn, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now that I've deleted Carolyn, <laughs> but oh, no, that would—that would, that would, that that would hit home so hard for me. Mm. Uh, uh, That's not even embarrassing or weird. That's just—that's just full-on feels right here. Mm -hmm. Tomer, go ahead. Tomer, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say that I think the last game to have uh, that, that I can recall that had uh, an emotional impact on me might have been uh, Beyond Good and Evil. Because it's such a, in a way, it's almost uh, Disney-esque in, in how kind of uh, innocent the basic premise of the story is and where it sort of takes the, the main character. It's really, uh, it's really kind of a, basically a, a good-natured kind of adventure game at heart. So, uh, yeah, it was, pretty, it was pretty compelling. Oh, and also uh, one other thing that comes to mind... Uh, uh, what's it called? The Walking Dead, I think. The Telltale games. Mm. Telltale are really, really uh, quite adept at the sort of the. I guess I would say it's it's it sounds derogatory, but it isn't meant to be uh, that way. Sort of the the cheap emotional impact, because they sort of went all in, but in a cheesy. Uh, horror movie kind of way, uh, so it was really intentional, and as such, it worked really, really well. I feel in that game. It's yeah, I mean, we can, yeah, I mean, we can. We can argue left, right, and center about whether or not Telltale games are adventure games, but <clears> we, <throat> uh, yes, <laughs> exactly. 
Yeah. I would argue that the earlier stuff, the Sam and Max ones and the um, Monkey Island ones, are are more adventure than oh, the yeah, newest absolutely. ones. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say the, the newer I'm ones are more like... I'm just going to throw this... Yeah, go ahead, Trolls. Go for it. I'm, I'm just going to throw this one out here, um, not, not to derail the whole uh, Telltale is not making adventure games anymore, um, but uh, Eris getting killed in Final Fantasy VII? Yes. Thoughts? Never played it. Never played it? Uh, that is one of the most uh, dear fucking god what just happened moments of any computer game. I've never played Final Fantasy more than the first few hours, but um, and but I know all about it just because of osmosis. But mm. um, it, it, I have no context of, of what what you had to go through to the game up to that point. And the cinematic where Eris is you know where he's laying Eris to, to rest and the flowers and everything. Right. Yeah. Like it's it. You just watch it and it's so um, like you you can't help but have some sort of feeling about it. And the music. And the music. And the music. Like, yeah. I love the music. Yeah. Uh, it, and, and basically, that is one of the best game soundtracks I've ever heard. Uh, when I when I hear the uh, Ares theme, uh, just in any context, I just immediately get this lump in my throat. I just go, "What?" The yeah, it's funny because yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've said it again a lot on the show. I'm not an RPG guy, but for some, but I was able, I, or at least I went through a phase where I play, I played. Seven, eight, nine, ten, and I think I got part of the way through ten two, and then I kind of. Petered out on Final Fantasy, but ten two is the one. And then you went, "What the hell am I doing with my life?" Yeah. <laughs> See, and I'm I'm old school. I went through the entire Gold Box series of SSI Dungeons mm-hmm. and Dragons games. Those are intense. I'm scared speaking to talk about those. <laughs> speaking of many nights playing up until two and three and four in the morning. Just one more level. Just one more level. <laughs> oh, I know that feeling way too well. Yeah. Well, we've been going for two hours. Yeah, I think we're getting around. Unless does anyone <laughs> else have any any other stories they want to uh, to I, to? I just know. got a small one. Yeah, go for it, and then we'll wrap up. I well, when I was uh, God, when I was just starting to learn how to read, I was uh, four or five years old. Uh, four or five I, years ago? <laughs> no, five. Oh, you know, you know, <laughs> four or five years old. I. Uh, I had trouble reading what was going on in my video games, and I had to have my stepdad or my mom or even my dad basically run me through what they were saying, especially in Star Fox, which is still one of my favorite games. And so uh, to this day, my dad credits video games for helping me learn how to read because I didn't want to learn how to read so I could read books or I could find out what stuff was. I wanted to read so I could figure out what they were saying in my video game so I could learn to play by myself. This is the exact story of mine, except uh, um, reading was one part, but uh, learning English was the other part. I mean, I remember yeah, following along through, through Space Quest 2 uh, because I didn't know what to put into the parser and such. Uh, and I really, really credit uh, video games and computer games for teaching me English. I mean, uh, words that I would never come across um, in school or whatever. Um, computer games really taught me not just English, because you, you can you can like get, you know go to a class and learn English like where's the nearest bathroom and uh, what does this color on the sidewalk mean and such and I'm gonna get hit by a car and such, uh, but uh, just getting into the vernacular, getting into uh, you know dictum and such, uh, I really credit computer games with that. So what what word comes to mind 
when you said the words you never even learned in school, what's one word, what's one word, English, what, English word that you've learned that uh, really sticks out in your head? That you your head. Really? Ooh, ooh, me, pick me. I have one. Yeah, okay. I have to think about yeah, that. Yeah, think about that. Yeah. So, uh, I'm probably eight-ish, and I'm playing Leisure Suit Larry 1. <laughs> <laughs> I only, actually, I think it might have been on the UMB cast, actually, uh, that I learned that this is actually a, a racist slur, but when you go to the uh, when you go to the grocery store thing, or 7-Eleven, whatever, and you need to buy condoms, and then you buy lubbers, and uh, <laughs> I... I for years and years, I, I thought that was an actual word. Like, I had no idea that that's intended to be a racial slur. <laughs> so I thought that was actually how you, you know, how you call condoms. That's one of the words for them. You guys are talking about learning to read for, uh, for games now. My kids, they can read fine, but they, they're just too lazy now. They just click and click and click to go past all the dialogue. I don't know if it's the ADD generation or what. Who, but... who reads the quest text? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember reading all sorts. Of, like um, you talk about emotional things, it, it sounds silly, but Resident Evil, you um, could find a uh, caretaker's um, diary mm -hmm. where they're talking about just the weird things that are going on around the the complex, and and as you get to the later pages, um, his words start getting hard to read, and the last page is just four itchy tasty. It's like the last things he wrote as he's turning oh, into a zombie. Shit. Oh, oh, geez. oh, oh geez. I've got one there. Um, um, that's a ripoff, though. And that's been done before, including in System Shock One and Two, by the way. Yeah, but a lot of people miss that stuff because a lot of people don't want to read it. You know, right. they just oh, yeah. that's optional. Just move on with the game. You guys, you guys ever played BioForge? I have not. Uh, it's one of the holes in my education. I, I know that I should, but I also know that it's considered to be um, for modern players just basically unplayable. BioForge. It, yeah, Bioforge is it's made by Origin Systems, um, and it's it's yeah it's not a good game. It's it's basically alone in the dark, uh, except you're a cyborg. Uh, but uh, the first character you run into, the first NPC you run into, is this uh, you know blue-skinned guy who's undergone so many genetic experimentations that he's just gone batshit insane. You pick up the guy's arm and beat him to death with it, um, <laughs> but. Then you pick up his diary, and this is one of the uh, uh, best pieces of uh, you know Wait, journal everybody. storytelling that I've ever seen. Jesus! Uh, hi, hi guys. Uh, <laughs> I, I just had, I had to, int to introduce two young uh, UMB cast <laughs> listeners who, who, when well, we would hike during the summer, had to listen to the show. <laughs> so, Joe, you have a young audience. All right. Uh, uh, so I should not swear at this point. They can't hear you. The first thing he does when the children show up, he starts swearing. I'm I'm about to say something really disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you're. That's, that's why we keep you around. So in 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 Bioforge, uh, <laughs> you you pick up this guy's uh, diary after you beat him and beaten him to death with his own arm, and uh, it it starts out really gently, like uh, uh, okay, so I'm I'm in this laboratory. They're conducting all these experiments on him. On, and, and the uh, journal entries just get more and more weird. Like, uh, I'm not actually in jail. Actually, uh, the uh, guards are the ones in jail, and I'm the ones trying. To, I'm the one trying to keep them out and such. And by the end of it, he's just gone completely insane. And the last entry is just hunt the worm. And I've never been so freaked out by one sentence in my life. 
Oh, that's because you haven't played Fallout, I guess, because uh, you get much the same effect, even the same sort of uh, literary mechanic uh, when you get to the hole, sort of the, the origins of the Brotherhood of Steel, the bunker. Uh, you get to read a, a diary entry of someone who's been infected with, uh, you know, the FEV2, sort of the, the mutagen uh, that turns people into super mutants in that game. And it's exactly as you describe, except I think probably a few years earlier or maybe even around the same time. But, you know, it, it wasn't that original an idea to begin with even way back when. Yeah, and stuff no, like that has always gotten to me, like things where people are, you know, devolving or being taken over or something like that. That that stuff like that has always like bothered me. Like I always found it very disturbing. Like being driven insane. I mean oh. the, the, the guy's journal entries just kind of devolve into uh, he stops using capital letters and he stops using correct punch punctuation and at one point he just starts putting in, you know, random garbage characters in his journal entries and the last one is just, you know, a lot of uh, garbage characters, and then the war. And I was just—I was so freaked out when I read that. Unfortunately, mm. the, part of the reason why it's disturbing to me is it reminds me of my uh, grandmother slowly uh, had Alzheimer's take over, and and you just kind of see that happen. Where by the end, you know, she just all she knows is that she just wants to go home. She can't think of anything else, and just every time you see her, I want to go home, want to go home, and her, you know, the home she sold, you know, 20 years ago. Right. Yeah. That must have been the most depressing Christmas cards ever. Yeah, well, after 10 years of that, it was like, it just became a joke. Well, we did get deep, didn't we, Larry? There we go. And on that note, <laughs> shall we wrap Yay! up? <laughs> Well, okay. So, anyways, that was you know, it, it went, it went, it went to all levels. It went, it went deep. It went emotional. It went happy. It went silly. It went sweary. <laughs> so, uh, thanks, guys. <laughs> Lots of fun. We'll we'll have to do one of these. This one is is later than I wanted it to be, just because the summer's been crazy with fun stuff and not fun stuff and work stuff and whatever, but I'm glad everyone showed up and uh, we had a good chat, so thanks a lot. Thank you. And thank you for having us. Thank you for having us, Tomer. Can I just briefly say fuck? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> fuck fucking fuckers. Yeah. Drain your, drain your drinks, everybody. We're, call, we're calling it, so... <laughs> Last call. Closing time. Boom. Boom. <laughs> I've emptied so all my beers. I'm good. Sweet. So if I'm just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad to have, uh, talk with all you guys. I'm just gonna have a quick, uh, you know, post-orgasmic cigarettes. And uh, thank you guys <laughs> uh, so much for uh, bearing with me. Yeah, no, it's, it's always, it's always a blast. If all goes well, next week we should be getting my thoughts on the, uh, the new King's Quest. So if Ooh, anyone has any exciting. thoughts on that, trolls, I'm sure if, if you have or haven't played it, I don't. Some, You'll have some uh, thoughts on whether or not it's an adventure game because it's so far it's quite uh, telltale-y, <laughs> shall we say? It's a mo it's a modern adventure game. Yeah, I I have I have not played it. I have no thoughts on it. I'm sorry, this is not Tesla Effect over again. I have no intention of playing it. Uh, <laughs> is Cedric even in there? I don't know. I'm I don't so far, waiting so far the no. podcast. All right, well, so far um, no Cedric. I did I, I did talk to the uh, developer of the game, and uh, I really wanted uh, to, him him to put Cyber Cedric in there, but uh, <laughs> of course so far, you did. Like, no, he's not in there yet. Maybe that'll be in episode two. Based oh God, on my uh, experience with uh, King's Quest, of the series, I think I'd rather uh, 
sort of poke my own eye out with a rusty fork than even bother. <laughs> See, Joe, you're trying to push it up King's Quest, it's all over. Yeah. All right, so thanks again, everybody, and uh, everyone watching, listening, whatever you're doing, thanks for hanging out with us for the amount of time we've been doing this, and uh, we'll see you next week. See you next week. No more for today. No more for today. <laughs> Keep up the good work. See y'all. Battle control terminated. You've been listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast with Joe Mastroianni. For more information on the podcast, visit umbcast.com. That's umbcast.com. Write to Joe today at podcast at umbcast.com. That's podcast at umbcast.com. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here? Join.